Okay, good evening everyone. Thank you for joining. Tonight's um, shear, Thursday, Thursday night shear, has been dedicated by Ruth Seliger, and this is in honor of her father's Yurtzeit, which is going to be this Sunday, the 15th of Tavis. Rabbi Yehuda Ben, I think it's Menachem Mendel. Yehuda Ben, Amr Menachem Mendel, it's the 21st yard site. All of Ashalom, may this be an aliyah for his neshama to the greatest of heights. May he channel lots of brachas to you, all that you need, all that you want. Most of all, the coming of Mashiach should be happening already now. Um, the notice that she sent me said Yehuda and B and then M. And then Mendel. So I imagine it's Yehuda ben Menachem Mendel, if it's Moshe Mendel or something like else. Hashem knows and may it be the schuss for his yard site. But uh, this is what I have. Okay, thank you for that. And only Simchas and Brachas and Mazel and only, only the happiest things forever and ever. Okay. Now we are ready to go. So we're going to learn a discourse. Now last week I felt terrible is that I learned to discourse a mimer, and I didn't, I, I, in the end, I ran through it, and I had intentions to go back to it and just recap the end of it. I'm not doing it now. But I do, I do plan, because last week's discourse and this week's discourse are interwoven. They were set on the same, on the same Shabbos, or the same week. They were both said in Tovkov Samach Dalid, which is the year... 5,564 5,564 which makes it the year 1804 no, it was actually said In 1803, because it was Pashas Vayetze, the Hebrew calendar flipped the it moved on to the next year. But in the in the uh, other calendar, it was still 1803 in the winter. Um, Kislev time, by the wedding of the Alter Rebbe's grandson, the Tzemach Tzedek, was going to be the next, was going to be the Third Chabad Rebbe, so the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, says it at his grandson's wedding or during the Sheva Brachas. Um, we learned a few of those discourses. One of them was the one we learned about Novo Lechayayich Petoyrim, your cheeks are beautiful with your rings, Tzavarech your neck, Pacharuzim, with your necklace. And then the verse before that in Shir Hashirim, this is all verses in Song of Songs, which is a love story between Hashem and the Israel and the Jewish people, and where God sings the praises of his bride. And he says, I love you the way your cheeks look and your neck when you're wearing your necklace and so on and so forth. He's, and then he adds, the verse says, which one says first? Let's take a look over here. It's actually a susasi berichvei paroi 
is in chapter 1, verse 9. And it's the verse before Novo L'chayayich B'tayr. So it's, and that's why, yeah, in, in over here in the discourses on Lakuti Torah, it's also first, and then comes the next one. Is, and they were both said in one week. And the verse says, L'susasi to the horses, or to Amir, Berichvei Paro and the chariots of Paro, Dimisich Reyasi, I compared you my love. Now, as I mentioned, an, a horse is a very beautiful animal. And as much, and Egypt was famous for horses. And the, we discussed it last week. And uh, Pharaoh's chariot and the military horses were like really, really the chosen of the chosen. And the horses that were on Pharaoh's, on Paro's military chariot was like extraordinarily beautiful. So Hashem says, you know, you're splendid like the horse in, 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 Paro, in Pharaoh's uh, chariot. But obviously that's a very external meaning. Just because it's beautiful, you're beautiful. There must be a very deep connection between the horses of Paro and the jewel and the and the beauty of Israel. So last week we learned a short little disc, a, a, a relatively short discourse on this. As I mentioned at the end, I went through pretty fast um, without much explanation. That very same week, the Alter Rebbe said two discourses on this verse. It seems like this discourse that we're learning now is more a commentary on the on the one we learned last week. That's why I think we'll learn we'll learn some of this and then we'll come back to discuss the end of that one. So we'll it seems that there even though the topic there are some crossovers, meaning some ideas that are in this discourse that are in this, even though it's two separate discourses. And it doesn't say explicitly that it is a B or an explanation, but it does seem like from the reading, it seems like it, there are many crossovers and ideas that run through both of them, and they've said on the same Shabbos, and they were said on the same verse. Okay. I'll try to point out the the connection, Be'ezrat Hashem. Um, we're learning this at this at this time. A connection is simply because I ran out of discourses in, in Torah R. I want to do and I'm 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 now making an effort, and please pray for me, uh, that to collect all the discourses we've been given over the last 25 years on on the Torah and Shira Shirim. A lot of them are on our website and on and on YouTube, but a lot of a lot of them were were recorded but have never made it on and been uploaded. So I'm making an effort now, Bezus Hashem, to collect all of them. And then I need a special miracle and prayers because there was quite a bunch of them that I'm missing. And we're talking about hours and hours and hours of classes, which I prepared those those days. I used to prepare like the whole week for this class. Um, and it would be a real shame not to find those classes. So Baruch Hashem, we had a little breakthrough this week. Hashem should help that we should be able to locate all of those. And then get them all organized and then be able to put them out in a very, very clean and clear way that any person that wants to study the entire book of Lakuti Torah, I didn't finish yet, but we're pretty close to finishing these two magnificent books of Torah or Lakuti Torah or we're mamish, we're literally almost completed, maybe seven, eight discourses left. And in Lakuti Torah, there's probably about another 
30, 40 discourses that we have to still go through, maybe a little more, maybe, maybe 50 or something. So it could take still a little while, but I don't think there is anywhere that anybody has all this in English. Classes in English on all of this, I don't think it exists. And it would be really, really special to be able to put it out in a very orderly fashion that you can look up every parasha, any discourse, and learn them and have a class on it. So that's the what I'm working on. And for that reason, I'm very much interested in finishing the discourses that I didn't teach yet. Being that there is a whole section on Shir Hashirim, on Song of Songs, which are not the, the weekly Torah portion. So I decided this year, whenever we don't have a discourse directly on the Parsha, we're going to focus on the Song of Songs and uh, try to fill in those discourses. It fits into the time that we're in right now because we're going to be learning about Pharaoh over the next couple of weeks and about the culminating in Parsha's Peshalach with the chariots of Pharaoh giving chase after the Jewish people. So let's understand about the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh. Okay. So we begin the verse. The Pasuk says like this. To the, so we're going to learn a half today and the other half next week. And uh, hopefully it's going to become clear to a certain degree now, but much clearer next week when we learn, when we complete the discourse. There we go. To the horse in the chariot of Paro, I compare you, my bride, my love. Or as I told you last week, there's another interpretation. To the horse in the chariot of Paro, I silenced you, my bride. Just like during the, and it doesn't mean to the horse, but it means Rashi learns that way. At the time when the horses of Paro were chasing you, I silenced you, and I told you, be quiet, don't even pray. I'm taking, I have you covered. That's Hashem saying how much he loves us that he, he didn't even ask we, he didn't even want anything from us. He just did it all on his own. Uh, but then the other interpretation is the misich doesn't come from the word demiya, which means silence. But the misich means from the word dimion, which is compare. I compare you to the horses of the chariot of power. Um, now the regular word. Now this mimer he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna set his uh, attention on the last word. When God refers here to the Jewish people, his bride, his love, he doesn't call us with the regular word, kalasi, my bride. He refers to us as re'asi. Now, re'asi really means my provider. It's a word loosely translated as my bride. But the sages say that the word re'asi has another meaning to it, parnesasi which means you are my provider, which is a very astounding statement. The sages derive from here. Now, what is the first of all, where does Reyasi have to do with providing? The word Reyasi is related to the word my shepherd. Reya, a shepherd. So Reyasi means the, one who, the ones who shepherds me, just like a shepherd you know, provides the flock with sustenance. The flock depends and are, uh, you know, uh, are are receiving their sustenance through the shepherd. So Hashem says to us that we are his providers. 
which is an astounding statement. We are the providers to God. God provides us with everything. What kind of statement is that? So the sages say an astounding statement. Yisrael mefarnesim laviyem shabashamayim. The Jewish people give parnasa. Parnasa means livelihood to our Father in heaven. That means we provide him with nourishment. We provide him with food. So what can that possibly mean if everything comes from him? So that's what the discourse is going to explain. But the discourse is really asking a question. And that is, once we understand how whatever that means, whatever, it's incomprehensible. But if we get somewhat of an understanding that, that, that Israel is the provider of sustenance to God, then the question will become, in that, in that role, in that context, where we are his providers, God is, God is comparing us in that role to the horses in the chariot of power. So it's not just a general compliment. You're beautiful like the horses of chariot of, the chariot of power. It's within the role in which we play in providing for God, which in that role he calls us Re'asi, my provider. In that context, he says, you are compared to the horses of the chariot of power. So we need to understand what's the relationship. Why, first of all, what does it mean that we are the provider for Hashem? And secondly, what does it mean that we in, that in that role we are compared to the horses of the chariot of power? I'll spill the answer right now because I don't like to keep everybody in suspense. But um, we're going to work our way through this. We're going to chew our way through this. So the idea that he's going to develop is an amazing idea. The idea is that God's entire interaction with the world, including not just the actual bestowing of God's bestowing of blessing to the world is being generated continuously. And it's a gift from God and it's a benevolent gift, but that very gift that he's giving and that benevolence and that kindness is being fueled because God and, 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 and what's fueling it, what's fueling it is the Torah and the mitzvot that Israel performs. Because right now when we're sitting and studying Torah over here, we're fueling the world, we're fueling God's kindness and God's, and God's generosity to the creation or doing any other mitzvah. This is what's happening right now. We are stimulating a infinite flow of goodness and kindness into the universe by studying his Torah or by doing his mitzvahs. But on a deeper level, not only are we bringing the blessings to the world, but we are actually making God be a provider or making God be generous. We are developing him as a generous being. So in order for his generosity to come to the world, we first have to make him be generous. Once he's generous, he's very generous and he gives kindness to the world. We first have to develop him to be a generous being. Now you'll say, what do you mean? God is the source of all generosity. Yes, but he, 
He's beyond being a source for generosity. He has no definitions at all. And why in the world should he be generous? What does generosity even mean to an infinite, undefined being? So he lowers himself down and funnels himself down to be a compassionate king and a compassionate provider and a great uh, benevolent uh, uh, husband and, and giver and caretaker and all these characteristics. That's because he chooses to become that. And we help him make that choice. We stimulate him to choose to be a generous provider and a giver to the creation. So we have to make up not only the kindness, but we have to make up the source of kindness. We have to make him be a kind being, a generous being. So who's responsible to turn God into a generous being? We're responsible in doing that. Now, how do we do that? We do that in our relationship with him because God is in love with Israel. As a result, as, as a, as a, as a consequence and as a derivative and as an outcome of that unbelievable, indescribable love affair. We coax him, draw him into being engaged and involved in a finite existence in, in, in time and space. So it's primarily the fact that we are, obviously the, initially when he initiated creation, there was no one to stimulate within him these characteristics. He formulated himself into a benevolent creator on his own because there was no one there to stimulate it. Once he creates, it is dependent on his subjects. It's dependent on his bride. It's dependent on his love to constantly bring him into that state. Now the question, however, is to bring God down to become somebody, we have to reach him when he is still nobody. And when I say nobody, I mean beyond being a somebody. So when God is still in a level of being nobody, which means not defined by any definition or any whatsoever something, Everything that has any definition or me or, or 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 character is utterly meaningless to an infinite, boundless, endless God. So how can it possibly mean and how can it possibly be that little peep squeaks of creations, little mortal beings in flesh and blood? that are here today and gone tomorrow, God forbid, people that are just little nothings, how in the world can our actions even have begin to have significance to make or our love or our desire for him or our even in any way pull at him? Have The gap that exists between us and the infinite is infinite. So we are endlessly insignificant. Without an end, literally without an end insignificant. No matter how much you explain how nothing we are, we are a whole lot of nothing more than that. And, 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 and there's no and pile up uh, more nothing. In other words, if you, the more you meditate on the vast gap, we shrink and shrink and shrink. And you can shrink, we can shrink ourselves. In other words, naturally we, we feel so big and so important. But when we really really analyze the true 
the truth of our insignificance in comparison to his endless boundlessness, the more we think about it, the more nothing we become, the more we shrink and become less significant. So when we appreciate that and we wonder, so how in the world can we possibly have any power on him, any sway on him? So God, in his infinite in his infinite pre-planning of creation provided provided for this for this very dilemma. He bestowed us with the Torah and the mitzvot. And the Torah and the mitzvot are magically potent and powerful on levels that are literally ungraspable, incomprehensible, and unknowable. Meaning to say, God shares with us certain certain behaviors or certain actions. In our realm, it's actions. But behind every one of these actions is a concept, is an idea, is an energy. We actualize these energies and these ideas in a particular particular mitzvah, a particular action that we do. But the content that's behind that action is not just spiritual. It's not just godly, but it's rooted in the very, very essence of God's inner, inner, endless, endlessly inner, endlessly inner pleasure and delight. So God basically reaches into, into his innermost of his infinity, into his innermost of his inner, inner, inner being, finds what triggers him. There's nothing literal less than that. Finds what triggers him because it touches and it stokes his deepest pleasure. Well, obviously, we have no clue what that is for an infinite, boundless, indescriptive being. What could possibly be his endless inner pleasure? What makes God tick? Literally, what tickles him at the deepest inner core? He he formulates. Basically, God has to have a lot of self-awareness and know himself at the deepest core. Know what it is that is so pleasurable to him. He formulates that and and encapsulates that and channels it through a series of a gazillion, gazillion, gazillion. He compresses it, compresses it, compresses it, compresses it until it becomes 613 physical actions that are in that contain and are embedded in it his deepest self. And he gives it to us. Whenever we do one of these things, we, sh- we send shockwaves into the inner, inner nucleus of nucleus of God's infinity. It's like when you take a pair of filling and put it on your head, you cause unbelievable, like you say, you cause God to get chills. Why? Have you ever had something that's like so intense that you get chills? You're literally giving God the chills. Not... Now, how can you do that? Nothing to do with you. You have no idea what you're doing. I have no idea what we're doing. 
But the Torah and the mitzvahs come from the inner, 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 endlessly beyond creation. Torah and mitzvahs has nothing to do with the world. It has nothing to do with time and space. It's, 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 the, it's Hashem's inner truth and inner being. Endlessly and boundless and, 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 and unmeasurably above, above all worlds, all spiritual planes. It's God's very self. Much higher than the, well, the, much higher than God having an image that we spoke earlier. At his very infinite, deepest self, that's where the Torah is rooted and the mitzvahs are rooted. But he gives it to, to us down here. And when we do them, we keep on, we keep on poking him in such a deep place. His very essence. And that's how we keep him interested in us. Such a cool idea. We keep him interested in us through the mitzvahs because we're, we're constantly, whenever he's ready to drift off into himself and endlessly away, away from the world. Because why shouldn't he? Why should he invest himself in this tiny little insignificant project of time and space? Why should he invest himself in it? No reason at all. So naturally, he would drift away from it, which means pull his investment out, return his energies back into himself, escape the trappings of time and space. Why would he be even engaged? Because we got him. That's the point. We got him in a way that he can't escape us because he spilled his deepest secrets to us. And we know how to reach him. A a pirate's villain, charity, visiting a, a sick person, doing all the mitzvahs, whatever they are, saying the Shema, blowing the shofar on this day, hitting him with a lulav, hitting him with a Hanukkah menorah. And, and, and again, even though these actions seem to be, and we give all kinds of human explanations to them, but that's just, those are external of external of external reasons. That's not really what it is. The truth of it is utterly unknown to any human being or to any any creature and any being. Yet that's our power to keep him engaged. Now here's the thing. We have no clue of the significance of these actions. We have no idea. We have no clue. We have no cut. It is utterly beyond us what it is, what tefillin is, what Shabbos is, what kosher is. The laws, the particular, we know where we have a divine code, but as, and as smart as we are, we can be as deep and as mystical. We can study Kabbalah for a million years and mysticism. Everybody over here, you're studying, you're learning with me a Thursday night with us. Maybe you go to listen to other classes. We think we're such big scholars. We know anything. Imagine if we've been learning for a million years, then we think, yeah, we pretty much know. We still would not even a clue of a clue of a clue of what these mitzvahs are because they're utterly gods. They're utterly on a different scale. They're in his world. As we spoke earlier, it's his deepest innermost pleasure. It's what he really cares about on levels that are utterly unknowable to anybody but, but him. And that's the reason why, and, 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 and when we do these things, that's how we draw God down because we keep him invested in creation and we keep him, you know, since we continuously stimulate him with such pleasurable things, it's what keeps him engaged and gets him involved to become, to lower himself down and become the generous being 
who shares generosity with the world and kindness and goodness and all these things are, that's already the second stage. That's the effects of our mitzvahs. The effects of our mitzvahs that go far beyond God's being a, a specific provi- uh, 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 um, a caretaker of creation, a creator and, then a, and, 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 a, and a benevolent king and a ruler and a compassionate father. These are all descriptions. We reach him way beyond his descriptions with the mitzvahs because they're rooted in his very self as he supersedes all these. And through that, we engage him and bring him down. And that's why we're called his provider. When we say his, we're not talking about God. We're talking about the image of God. When God comes down to become the master of creation, the compassionate father, the benevolent king, the the judge, the ruler, the, the shepherd, the, all the other attributes that we use, which are already giving certain character and definitions to God, which truly exist because God does lower himself down into these forms, into these formations, if you might say. But who is responsible to bring him into those formations? That's us. And that's what we're called his provider because we provide him, we, we provide the impetus for the infinite flow to lower, it, to lower itself down to become the source for creation. But God says, when you do that to me, that's why we're called as provider, Rayasi. God says, but you know, you think that what you 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 really got a handle on it. You really know, like, oh wow, you can put on the villain, you can do, you know, you can you can you you can uh, have a mezuzah, you can wear those stringes of the tzitzis, those strings hanging down. That that's really what makes you such a macher and a knacker, meaning it makes you such a such a you know you you're you're basically. Uh, 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 tugging at the at the infinite, and you're because you think you figure it out. You know what you are like, God says, like the horses and the chariot of power. What's with the horses and the chariot of power? When Pharaoh went out on his horses, his horses were dressed up in diamonds, in gold, in necklaces. They adorned the horses with all kinds of gold uh, ornaments. That's what they the the, the, the the Egyptians would. Their horses were dressed up. Now, the horse that's dressed up with all these things has no appreciation understanding on the ornaments in which it's wearing. Because it's not about the horses. No one discusses it with the horse, what it's going to wear, and so on and so forth. It's the king. It's the king's honor. It's the king's splendor. It's what the king loves. If the king is into... um, if the king is into, uh, what is it called, uh, sapphire, and not so much into emerald, but I know, but you need doors here. Come, come, come. Mema, I'll save it. I don't have a, I have a safe. Yeah, I do have a safe. Do the horses, do the horses have any idea of what they're wearing? They have no clue. Also, if the king likes, that's what I'm saying. If the king likes, likes, likes a sapphire and he doesn't, he's not so into emerald or he likes ruby, not, not so much, whatever, whatever the color, whatever his fancy is, or he likes diamond versus or he likes some king, some king might like yellow gold. The other one might like uh, rose gold or whatever. 
Based on that, he will adore his chariot with the horses. The horses have no, no, no difference or preference if it's yellow gold or if it's this kind of gold, if it's triangle, angular necklaces or earrings or whatever. The horses have no clue. The horse is a horse. Because it's not the splendor of the horse, what it chooses. It's the royal, it's the royal preference. It's the royal honor. It's the king's glory that is expressed in his chariot. So God is saying, you think you have a clue in the ornaments of the Torah and the mitzvahs that you're doing? You have no clue. You're like the horses in the chariot of Paro. But yet, yet, those horses, you are revealing the deepest delights and pleasures of God when you're doing these mitzvahs. And you will never know what they mean. Because it's utterly beyond your grasp and utterly beyond your understanding why this is and what it is. And when we recognize that, we recognize the mitzvahs are so awesome where we're like in awe every mitzvah we do. And we don't try to obviously figure out the mitzvah and based on that think that certain parts of the mitzvah are not so important, other things are, when we start to evaluate because that becomes so ridiculous because that's the ornaments of the the susasi berich the the to the to the to the uh, to the um, horses in the chariots of Paroi dimisich. I compared Reosi you as a provider because with these mitzvahs, look what you're doing. God says you are providing me with sustenance. What does it mean? You are bringing the infinite. In the infinite, endless, boundless light of Hashem, of the infinite, down into, into me, into what's called HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is already the persona of God. You are providing me with sustenance. So, the, so your mitzvah that you're doing is utterly otherworldly. It's godly. These are my things. Hashem gave that power to us and only when we're in flesh and, bo- and, and, and bodies flesh and bones, and invested in a physical body. When we are in a spiritual state, which means when our souls are in heaven, we can't do these mitzvahs. We can study a little bit about them. We can't do them. We can only do them when they come down and encapsulate in a physical form. Although they exist within creation, they are completely and utterly outside of creation, outside of time and space, Outside of outside of the cosmos, including the spiritual and the highest, highest spiritual universes. It's utterly beyond that, your mitzvahs that you're doing. And it's having infinite and endless repercussions. But with that, you draw me in and you keep me involved in the world. That's the five-minute summary of the whole discourse of the of the of the mimer. And now we learn inside to uh, figure it out. Take a mimer. Yeah. Where is the look? Is it over there? The look at it. It's in the back of the Kutitayra, the Shira Shirim on page 22. The Susasi, the Rikhve Pari, the Misikha Reyasi. Piddish, what does it mean? Reyasi means my, 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 my love. And the sages say they asi also comes from the word parnesasasi. Parnesasi. The one who provides for me. 
Kemaim Rizal, and as the sages tell us, Yisrael Mefarnesim, that Israel, the Jewish people, bring Parnasa, bring God livelihood. So we need to understand two things. Number one, how is it that we provide God? The opposite. God is, God is, we pray for him for, for livelihood every month. We know without God, we don't earn a penny. So he is the one, he's our sustainer. And every time we, we eat a piece of food, we say, Baruch Hashem, that you, you feed us, you, 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 you provide for us. And here God says, well, you feed me. What does that mean? And also to understand Dimyan Akasov, the comparison of the verse, in which, now in this context, in this relationship, that we are God's providers, in this context, he said, you are like the horses of the chariots of power. What that really means in simple English if you were made the chef to prepare God's meal, please just do exactly what you're told and don't try to figure out and and play around with the menu and think that you can figure out why. If you're the one cooking his meal, just follow instructions and, and, and know that you have no clue. Why in the world? I wouldn't put paprika into this, but. This is what you're told to do. So just do it like that is, because you have no clue what this is. That's the idea. Um, and 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 that's the idea, like the horses in the chariot of Paro, because the horses, as we mentioned earlier, coming out all dressed up in these chariots. The horse is a horse. <laughs> the horse is is thinking about hay. It's thinking about what a horse thinks about, and the horse has no clue about how it's how it's wearing these most expensive ornaments but it's, but it still needs to wear it that's the point uh, but that's already the answer we're still we're still all the way at the question Inyanu, the idea is as follows because everything that we discussed earlier is a brief synopsis of what he's going to explain over here he makes it because it says in the pasuk he and and he is like the sun the sun meaning the sun in the sky not the sun, not S-O-N-S-U-N, the sun in the sky, Yoitze goes out, so the sun in heaven is like a groom, like a bridegroom, like a groom, Yoitze Mechupasai, who comes out from his chuppah, from his canopy. What does this mean? Let's first understand this on a simple level. This is in chapter 19 in Psalms, in Tehillim. Over there it says, First it speaks about the glory of the heaven. How the heaven is re- relating the glory of Hashem. And then it speaks about the sun. And it says, That Hashem made the sky be like a tent for the sun. It's like when you look up to the sky, the main feature in the sky, the most dominant feature to the sky, in the sky, at least to our naked eyes, is what? Is the sun. The sky looks like a tent for the sun. Okay, that's the meaning. La shemesh, to the sun, some oil, he makes, he makes a tent, bohem, in the sky. Fine. Then it says, then it begins to describe the, the, the sun's, the sun's, Flight through the sky. The sun journeys through the sky every day. 
And it begins with sunrise. So what happens at sunrise? First, it's dark. And suddenly the sun starts coming up on the east. So the Pasuk says when the sun comes out, at night, it's like behind a closed tent. You don't see it. It's dark. Then suddenly from the midst of the darkness, it's like the tent opens up and the sun comes out. But it's like he's, so it's comparing it to a groom coming out of a chuppah. That means a chuppah is over. What's a chuppah? A chuppah is the canopy where the groom and the bride go together. And they, under there, they are officially married. When they leave the chuppah, the groom is leaving with with his bride. Now, what will you notice in the groom when he's, literally at this moment completed his chuppah. He's now, he's now officially married. Two things you'll notice in the group. Number one, abundant joy. That's the most joyous moment in a person's life. They just married. They bring our Jewish tradition. We break the glass. Everybody screams, Mazel Tov, Yishama. And it's it, like the chasen is coming out of the chuppah. It's like the craziest moment of joy. So the sun, it says, is also joyous. Every morning as it's breaking out of the sky, is joyous. The second thing is the groom, it's a little bit of a, it's first of all, because of all the attention and because of the, the whole idea that he's getting married and he's getting, he's not yet comfortable with his wife. So there's a little bit of a shyness. The, the groom is blushing in that, at that moment. He's joyous and he's blushing at that moment. So if you look in the sky, you see the sun. When it's rising, it's red in the face. Later, it becomes yellow but it's red. So it looks like a groom coming out of his bridal chamber, coming out of the chuppah, and he's, and he's, and he's blushing in that, in, that, in that state. Okay, that's a simple meaning. And, then, and the sun, then it describes how the sun is so powerful. It's racing across the sky. No one can stop it. Like a gibar, like a warrior, like a, like a mighty warrior, Who's, who's running on a horse and no one can that's on the on the on his on his galloping and no one would dare get in the way just like that is no one could stop the sun and then it says and then it says how how no one can no one can be once it's out in the sky you can't hide from its heat until it sets on the other side okay that that's the puzzle so Pidish, so now he explains. It says, Who is like a chasen? Who is like a, a groom? It's referring to the sun that was mentioned in the verse before that. That was mentioned right before that. In the verse before that, it says, even though it talks earlier, it talks about the sky. Again, earlier in the verse, it talks about the sky. But 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 now it turns to the sun because it says la shemesh some oil behem. It's still talking about the sky that the sky is a canopy or is a oil is a uh, is a tent for the sun la shemesh for the sun. And now it continues that sun that we had just mentioned v'hu kechasan he's like a groom yoytze who's coming out mechul pasay from his chupa. Uh, uh, okay. So there is obviously this is talking about the sun, 
which is very nice. And it's simply King David, David HaMelech is describing the incredible, um, the flaws of Boire, the incredible wonders of the creator that is, that is, that is, that you can depict in creation. That you can see that in creation, you can see these incredible, magnificent creations that God created, including the sky and the sun and how they speak the glory of Hashem. And, you know, that, that's the simple meaning. But everything has deeper meaning and deeper meaning and deeper meaning. So what is the sun spiritually? So we know in the sky, there is a couple. There's a couple. Everything in the world was created male and female. Everything in the world was created male and female. And so, and, and, and when it created the human being also, Zachar and Akeva male and female, they created. That's why these total lunatics today who think they can mess the entire existence up and destroy the difference between male and female, they don't realize that they are literally dismantling the very, very, the very, very fabric of existence. But okay, Hashem will, will take care of that as well. But in any case, the, everything in the world is male and female. The heavens, first, for example, is male, and the earth is female, because the earth is the recipient from the, they're married to each other, heaven and earth. In the sky itself, the sun and the moon are the two dominant, dominant um, luminaries of the sky. So the sun is male, and the moon is female. That's why the moon has a period of 30 days, which is like the same woman's cycle. And the sun and the moon are like, in that sense, they're married to each other. And as the, uh, the male and female, husband and wife, the man is the bestower, the woman is the recipient. So the moon is the recipient. She receives, the moon receives the light of the sun. As we know, moon doesn't have any of its own light. It reflects the light of the sun. Okay? So it's a couple. Fine. That's why the sun is, comp- that's why when, when, when the verse compares the sun, it compares it to the chasen, not to the kal, to the groom, not to the bride. The moon is, is the bride. The sun. Okay. Now, everything starts in the Torah. So in the Torah as well, there is the sun and there is the moon. There is the chasen and the kala in the Torah. Because we know there are two parts to the Torah. There is the male Torah and the female Torah. The male Torah is the Torah that God is speaking to us. That's the male Torah, which we discussed in earlier classes, especially in the last one when we learned of the discourse a couple of weeks ago, Torah Tzivalana Moshe. We spoke a lot about the male Torah and the female Torah. So Torah Shabbat Sav is God's Torah where God speaks to us. That's the five books. That's scripture, the, the, the books of Tanakh. That's the male Torah. And then there's the female Torah. What's that? Our interpretation, our extrapolation, the Torah that the rabbis have given us, the sages have given us. The Talmud, the Mishnah, all this is the, the, the development. And just like the woman, what does she do? She develops the husband's power. Because the husband, he's, he's, he's got the energy, and, and, and especially in the, in the element of creating children, he's got the, 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 the power, but, he, but, it's, but it's just a, it un, it's an, it's an undeveloped power. So when he gives it to the woman, the woman takes and the woman brings out all the details and she creates a child out of it. So the woman is, so the same is with Torah, with the written Torah and the oral Torah. The written Torah is just a a point. It's a power. Hashem gives us, for example, the mitzvah of Shabbos. But in the the written Torah, Shabbos is a very, it's a closed thing. What about Shabbos? No one knows how to keep Shabbos from learning just 
the, the, you have to consult halacha. So you have to look in the Shulchan Aruch and the code of Jewish law. And when you look in Shulchan Aruch and the code of Jewish law, you suddenly have all the details and sub-details and sub-sub-sub-details. You suddenly have a whole world of what it means to keep Shabbos. So that's the idea, male and female. A point and, and later a development of the point. So the sun, therefore, is... Now, since sun and moon is male and female, so the Torah is also compared to the sun and the moon. The written Torah, Torah Shabbat is the male Torah. Torah Shabbat is the female Torah, which is compared to the moon. Now, why is he suddenly, but why is he suddenly, um, if you're talking about the sun and the moon, how are we getting to the Torah over here? Because if you take a look into Hillim, in this very chapter, chapter 19, where it speaks about the sky, and then suddenly the sun pops up in the sky, and it speaks about all about the power of the sun and how the sun comes out of its chuppah, which we'll soon understand what that means. The sun comes out of a chuppah. We'll get that soon. Right after that, it says, Hashem tamima. You're just talking to me about the sun. How do you suddenly jump and start speaking about the Torah? And the rest of the chapter goes ahead to praise the Torah. Torah Hashem Tamima Meshivas Nafesh, the Torah of God is complete, it restores the soul. Eidos Hashem Nemono, the testimonials of Hashem are faithful. Machimas Pesi, they make the, the foolish uh, wise. Uh, whatever, it goes on and on. The rest of, how did you suddenly, if you're praising God in creation, stick to creation. How does King David suddenly flip over David HaMelech in the psalm without any warning and he's talking about the Torah? The answer is, the sun is the Torah. The Torah and let's just simply explain just on a simple level what's the sun? It provides light and warmth without the sun there is not there's an empty cold dead world nothing can exist the sun is what provides the light and that's what the Torah does Torah shines light into the world and warmth into the world and makes everything meaningful and, 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 and bright and, and everything is, is it's, Torah is called Torah R it's like this powerful luminary being in the sky, which is, and in the Torah itself, there are two luminaries. There's the Torah as it is emanating from God, too powerful, too strong for us to understand anything. And then it gets passed on to the moon, and the moon already softens the light. And it gives it to us in a way that we can understand it, all the details. And, and it's shining to us in our darkness. It's night, and giving us enough light that we should be able to go by the light of the moon. So sun and moon are these two parts of Torah. Okay, but now we need to understand if the sun is the the Torah and it's the written Torah, what does it mean that the sun is emerging from a chuppah? That's what he's going to explain about. What's this chuppah? Just like the sun comes out as we, and it's it's glowing like a like a groom coming out of his chuppah. What's the idea of a chuppah in the verses of the Torah? As we'll understand. The remez and the and the indi- and the remez over here is, and this is coming to symbolize al Torah shebiksav on the written Torah. because the written Torah is called the sun. The Torah and the oral Torah Yereach is called the moon. Now he's going to explain the relationship between this spiritual couple between sun and moon, and its deeper meaning, which is the two parts of the Torah. Just like the moon doesn't have light on its own, but rather she receives all of her light from the sun. 
which through this she shines her light. Now, by the way, it's a, he, he, right over here, he is actually hinting to something which he's not saying explicitly, but in the other discourses, parallel to this discourse, in Tafkuf Samachdalid, in this book, which is Mamari Abman Azak and Tafkuf Samachdalid, there's the same version, there is the same discourse, but in another version. And over there, this, this Nakuda is, is emphasized stronger. When we say the moon doesn't have any light of her own, or the woman doesn't have any of her own light, and she's a recipient, that's not to be understood that she doesn't have anything. The woman has an abundant of her own. It's just that she can't activate it on her own. In other words, once she receives the light from her husband or the influence from her mashpia, that triggers in her and empowers her to actually bring forth her own light and her own abilities, which ultimately exceed even his light. But it needs to be triggered. That's the way Hashem set up the system. It needs to be triggered by him. In other words, it's not just, and the same is with the creation of a child. It's not just it's his child that she developed. It's her child and his child, both together. She can't activate her 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 creation creative ability unless she first just like perfect example rain is male the sky is male and the earth is female the earth gives forth children she produces all the food enormous amount of food but the earth can't do it unless the waters come first but does that mean that when it's raining it's raining cucumbers and tomatoes and avocados and strawberries and and blueberries and and the bananas and whatever else and apples and oranges that's not what's raining the earth has has that potential the earth has the potential for all these it's it's the earth's creativity but the earth will not be able to bring forth anything unless it receives that first shower from her husband he has to give her the rains and when he gives the rains, so if you take a look carefully at his words, with the, with, the, with the same as with the sun and the moon, it says that the moon does have its own light. Even though to us, if, it looks like if you go to the moon, it's just plain rock, moon rock. But there is a hidden light in the moon as well. It's just that the sun shines on her, and it looks like it's only a reflection from the sun, but there is a deep, and the true light of the moon will come out really when Mashiach comes, when it says the moon will be like the sun. Okay. So look at these words. The moon receives her light from the sun. Through this that she receives the light from him. These are the words that I, I wanted to emphasize. She will shine her light. Not she is just shining his light. She is shining her light. And that's but the same relationship is with the Torah of Shabal Peh, which is the oral Torah, which is the moon. Everything in Torah Shabal Peh, which means everything that you find in the Mishnah, in the Midrash, in the Zohar, or in the Talmud, or any element in Torah Shabal Peh, in the oral law, it's all activated by Torah Shabal That's why, that's why we find same thing we learned a few weeks ago when we learned Torah Tziva. We discussed this idea. as it stated in the Talmud, on every statement that it that it says in the Mishnah. The Mishnah comes and lays out lots of laws, facts, and so forth, halachic facts. The Talmud always 
comes with the same question. How do you know this? Where do the sages derive this law? Minolon. Find me a source in the Torah. And then they always go back into the Torah and they find the various tiny little hints and nuances, which since it uses this word, and here there's an extra vav, and here there's an extra dalit, this is where the sages were able to extrapolate, like the woman extrapolating the energy from the man. Menolon, the it says, oh, how do you know this? Oi, hanamili. Where do these words come from? Mili means words. Meno, from where? Hanimili. Where do these words come from? In other words, where does this idea in the oral law, where is it rooted in the written law? The Torah, the written Torah, is a general. The Torah is detailed. Just like you have. In other words, he's saying two, two ideas. Number one, the written Torah is, is the husband, is the mashpia, is the giver. And the oral Torah is the recipient. It takes an idea and it opens it up. It causes it to flower. It, 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 it receives it and maybe shines it. But now he's adding more. It's also like the idea of klal uprat. What is the idea of klal uprat? General and specifics. So in every, in every, in every communication, a good communicator will communicate things by first giving you general and then they'll give you and then they'll give you specifics. I didn't intend this to say this, and I didn't intend to bring this analogy. Just happy to be right now. I just did that earlier, right when we started the mimer. What did I do? I was it happened almost automatically. I guess like the mimer prompted me to do so. I asked you the question that it brings in the mimer, and I said, Let me give you the the idea. I threw out the whole idea of the mimer, but it's general. We're going to spend now, you can spend now over this week and next week, we're going to spend like for four or five hours discussing the short idea that we discussed earlier, but that's all the, the details of it. That's going to become a million times richer when you get to the details. But all those details are in one short concept. It's one idea, and that idea later now is the detail. That's what Torah Shabbat Peh does. It takes, these, it takes a, a klal, a klal is a general, like we spoke earlier, you have the mitzvah of Shabbos, which is a it's a, 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 a day of rest. It's all Shabbos is a day of rest. How do you live in that day of rest? How, what does the rest mean? What are the laws pertaining to it? How should you rest? Torah Shabbat Peh is going gonna, is gonna to bring out all the details and details. There's millions of details in the laws of Shabbos. It's all coming out from one principle. Rest on Shabbos. In the Ten Commandments, God says you should rest. And then what? We don't know. There's two things. Number one, the klal, which is the Torah Shabbat, is made up of everything that's in the prat, the prat. Meaning the details are really the essence of the general. Because the, the general is the, is, the, is, the, is, the, is the nucleus and the, and the all, it's the, it's the um, all-embracing source for all these details, but just like the details don't have anything new other than what they're bringing out from the general, the general is also the general for the details. Because also in the written Torah, what do you have in the Torah, in the written Torah? You have the 613 mitzvahs in general. That their details the details are explained in Torah Shabbat Peh, 
And all of them, it's all it's all considered one, which means Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat are two halves of the same thing. Torah Shabbat is all of the Torah concentrate, and Torah Shabbat is all of the Torah expressed and fully, fully, fully verbalized and fully detailed with all of its details coming out and flowering every single one in all, in all specifics. And to understand. Now we're saying on the Torah, what do we say? On the written Torah, what do we say? It is like a chas who is coming out of a chub. So what he's going to explain is that the written Torah, which is the, the, the giver, because then what you have over here is a, you have a chasen and a kala. You have a bride. I'm sorry, you have a groom and a bride. You have a husband and a wife. You have a giver, a transmitter, and a receiver. But we're saying there is a level that's pre, pre, pre-chasen. The chasen appears, but before that he wasn't there. Where was he? He was hidden in the chuppah. That means the chasen really, okay, simply in, in, in the physical world, the chasen wasn't born on the chuppah. The chasen was, 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 was born in his parents' house, and then, he, and then he grew up, and he lived a life, and he was very much here. And then in honor of the wedding, he goes to a chuppah. So it's not like the chasen is, 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 is created on the chuppah. But spiritually, and as much as it refers to Torah and it refers to God, Torah Shabiksav, the written Torah, came to us as the tablets. God gave it to Moses as the tablets. So where were these Ten Commandments and where was this Torah before it was written in tablets? Or where were these Ten Commandments before God honored them at Har Sinai? Where were they? They were included in God's infinity, in his boundless. It's like no one knows what Hashem is thinking deep in his heart. But then, then it was a mystery. Even Moshe didn't know what those Ten Commandments are. No one knew it. It was completely hidden. And when Hashem came on Har Sinai, it's when Hashem reveals the Torah and, and utters it. So it's coming out from almost like... So the, what he's going to explain, I think, and that's the way I'm understanding it, is the, is the, the chasen, the sun, is emerging from a chuppah, which the chuppah represents a canopy which is above it. So when Hashem is emerging to us as our chasen, as our, our what you're really getting over here is that see he's focusing very much on the dynamics of in Torah itself there is the the male Torah and the female Torah. But if you if you extend this concept to include not just the two parts of Torah, the dynamics of Torah, but in general, Hashem and us, Hashem is the chasen. Hashem is the God is the is the groom and we're the bride. Okay, so God is the groom and we're the bride, and that fits with Torah as well, because the Torah Shabbat is God's words and Torah Shabbat is our words. Who, who made Torah Shabbat? The sages. They're the ones who create. So in general, it's Hashem and the. And, but Hashem in Torah, God has already a certain def, a certain form. Hashem is emerging already as a as a being. With as an intelligent being, what's the Torah? The Torah is the divine intelligence, and it has already a, a certain emotional structure. God had already, when you learn Torah, you get an image of what God is like. 
When you read Torah, you get, why? Because the Torah describes Hashem as a kind being, as a compassionate being. And all the mitzvahs of the Torah follow these, these, these characteristics, these chief characteristics. The mitzvahs are all mitzvahs of kindness and mitzvahs of compassion and mitzvahs of, uh, and so forth. So, again, what, once you have Torah as Torah, God is already appearing in a certain form, in a certain entity. But is that really, really, really who Hashem really is? The image we get of him as he appears in the Torah? No. That's him as he lowers himself down to be the son. To be the husband of the wife. The wife is the moon. Then he is the son manifesting himself as in his Torah, through his Torah to us. He is then becoming the male and we are the female. But to get God to become the male, because male and female means he's already in a relationship. So Hashem has to come out of a chuppah. The Torah has to come out of a chuppah. The Torah has to come out from pre-Torah. And now the question is, who makes Hashem come down from pre-Torah into Torah? Kechassim. Who makes him be a chassim? We're going to see the bride makes him be the chassim. <laughs> Not only does she marry him once he's a chassim, she actually forces him to become a chassim. <laughs> Before that, he's beyond even being a chassim. So the girl kind of makes the man. And it's because there's a girl somewhere, there's got to be a man created to like be her husband. That's kind of the idea. She's it. He's now coming down to be so he can be her, her, her provider and her and her love and her and her and her bestower. So that's kind of it is with Hashem. It's because we are here, and because that's where he's going with this, as we're gonna see. So now, once we understand that the Torah is like a bride, I'm sorry, is like a groom, that the Torah Shabiksab, the written Torah, it, and he's coming out from the chuppah, in Exiv, so this idea is going to be understood. By the concept of, one of the things about the Torah, one of the predominant um, characteristics that are expressed in the Torah, are what? Is kindness. Most of the mitzvahs of the Torah convey kindness. Just kindness and discipline, a lot of discipline, but enormous amount of kindness. That's why so much so that the Torah is referred to as with two with two names, three names. Torah is called Torah's Emes, the Torah of truth. It's called Torah's Chayim, it's the Torah of life. And it's also called Torah's Chesed, the Torah of kindness. So predominantly, the Torah is, 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 is emphasizes very much kindness. Now, regarding k- kindness, there's an interesting verse that says kindness is built. It says, chesed yibane, kindness is built. The verse, the full verse is, ki amarti, when I spoke, ki amarti, when I spoke, oilam a world, chesed yibane, simply it means, God says, ki amarti, when I spoke, that the world gets built through kindness. Or how do we build up the world? We build, God decided that he wants the main activity in the world to be his kindness. Generosity that people do to each other. I think that's a simple meaning. 
Kiamarti, God said, God could have decided the world should be what the most meaningful act in the world should be, I don't know what, uh, something else. And Hashem decided that what he wants most of his creations is to be kind to each other. Kemarti oilam chesed yibane. On a deeper level. Kiyomarti oilam. When God said, I'm going to, I want a world. Kiyomarti oilam. When I want a world. Chesed yibane. God, God needed to first structure his kindness. What does that mean? First, he needed to become a kind being. He had to build up a world of kindness. Because here's the thing. If the world would be built just on deserving, what would be the opposite of kindness? Kindness means to give without expecting something in return. To give undeservingly. If God would have decided that the world should be structured on justice and merely justice, which means if you deserve, you get, and if you don't deserve, you don't get. The world would not have never. The world would have never withstand. It says so. God initially planned on making the world with the attribute of judgment, and then He saw the world will not make it. So instead, He decided to create a kind world. It means most of the world literally lives on kindness. Most people, most creatures, everything. There's very few righteous and righteous of righteous that can earn a living in God's eyes because of the, what they deserve. Very few. But mostly, it's, it's pure kindness. So, so God had to... So, so what did it now? Simply it means, before God created the world, he filled up a huge, huge, huge kindness tank. He's got to have a whole lot of kindness to provide the world. But come on, God is infinite, so his kindness is there automatic. No. That's what we're learning over here. God is really beyond the attribute of kindness. He's infinite. He's beyond. He has no definition. He lowers himself down and defines himself as a kind being. And as he does that, he fuels a lot of his infinite power into kindness. And once he assumes the nature of a kind being, he creates the world. But what he's asking over here is, why does it say, if this would be the full meaning of the verse, it should have said, Kiyamarti Oila, when I said a world, Chesed Bana, or Banisi Chesed. I built Chesed. Kiyamarti Oila, when I said the world, Banisi, or Baniti, I built Chesed. I structured a big structure. I made a, a, a tank of kindness. It doesn't say it in the past, it says it in the current. It says, Kiyamarti Oilam Chesed Yibane. Yibane means Yibane means continuously building. So what does that mean? You know what that means? That means that God's kindness has to be continuously created. His kindness, it's not a one-time shot. He created kindness. He created a, 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 within himself a nature of being kind. And now through his kindness, he creates and sustains the world. So the Alter Rebbe is going to explain, no. We have to constantly, continuously, continue, God has to continuously recreate and reform himself as a kind being. Not because he's not kind, but because 
He is utterly beyond all definitions and even about kindness. So he has to lower himself down to become kind. And since that is an enormous descent for his true self, he constantly reverts back to above kindness and he and it has to be continuously constructed. Every single moment of creation, God is busy making himself kind. Building his own kindness. Formulating himself into a kind being. And here's the most awesome thing. In this process, God says your partner's with me. You need to help me make myself kind. And let's read inside. Kiamarti and also. So what does it have to do with Torah? Suddenly it seems like there's so many different concepts. It's a little cryptic over here, so we have to follow. Here's the idea. Torah is the general idea of Hashem emanating to be the mashpi. Hashem coming down from an utterly unknown state into being the chasen, into being the mashpia to us. Well, let's use another, another way to understand this a little better. It says Torah, the blueprint of creation. And God looks in the Torah and then he created the world. So everything that happens in creation has to first happen in Torah. Because just like in any structure, you can't have anything happening in a building unless it's first. If you want to change a building, you have to, you have to edit the blueprint. Based on how you make the, the paper and the blueprint, that's how you're going to have a building. So if in the context of the relationship of Hashem in the world, Hashem is the husband and we're the wife. Hashem is the transmit. He is the giver and we're the recipient. It first exists in Torah. So in Torah, there's the male Torah and the female Torah. And the two have to constantly engage in a union. But we would think that the Torah is a set. The male part of Torah is a set reality. It's a set thing. So we say, no, the Torah has to constantly descend into a state of Torah. But he's, but he's, but he's particularly emphasizing what aspect of Torah. Torah has many has the entire divine personality, particularly which which element of Torah? It's Hashem's kindness. Now, he doesn't only mean kindness. It's the entire general structure of God's persona. Hashem needs to be, let, let me put it this way. What he's talking about over here is creating spherot, bringing Hashem into a state of spherot. Torah is, what is the Torah? Torah is the is the ten spherot is a map of the ten spherot. That's the Torah. It's the map of God's personality. But is Hashem essentially spherot attributes? No, Hashem is a singular being beyond all the all definition and all description. So Hashem's descent into spherot into attributes. Now, since the first of the seven emotional attributes is kindness. So we talk about kindness. And when we say it's first, it doesn't only mean first, it also means the dominant one. That's why the most power a person has is in his right hand. The right hand is the power of kindness. And that's in us because we're creating the image of God. God too. The Torah wants to describe God's power, Yemincha Hashem, Hashem's right hand, which is kindness. So, but this itself, that he is a kind being, as the masculine being provider, we're the recipients. He's the masculine. He's the giver. That itself has to be structured and created. Now let's read. He makes it. It says in the pasuk, "Now when I said the world chesed, 
So in the other Mimer he explains, Ola means ten spheres. When I said Olam, I want a world. A world means a certain definitive structure. It doesn't mean creation. It doesn't mean us yet. First, God makes himself worldly, and then he creates a creation. He is the man, and we are the woman. The creation is actually the woman. He is the man. But first, he puts himself into the context of that, and that's called Olam. And what does he need to do in order to do that? Chesed Yibane. He has to build Chesed. Piddish, Chesed Yibane. The kindness needs to be built, and it comes into being. But the word it uses, it should be built. Which means in the constant, kindness is continuously stimulated. And as it says, and as well, and, and like the statement, like we say in Davening, this idea that this is a constant reoccurring that this is a constant reoccurrence. It's not a one-time event that Hashem chose to be a certain image and that, and then he freezes that and it's frozen forever and he's already set in that state. But he constantly, it's fluid and he constantly needs to shape himself into that form. So this idea is also hinted to and proven by a verse that we say, that Hashem renews every day the work of creation. So one way of reading it is that what? Creation is new every day. That, that's also a chiddush. Most people, if you learn the story of Genesis, of Beratius, what do you find out of story? 6,000 years ago, or close to 6,000 years, God created the world. He created it then. Once he created it, it's created. No. So we learn a little deeper. We find out, no. Creation is, is, is continuous. But, and, and there's a verse supporting it. God renews creation every day. But here there's something deeper. When it says, my Beratius, the work of creation, the work of creation doesn't mean, you know, trees, plants only. The work of creation doesn't mean mountains, stones, canyons, galaxies. The work of creation also means, Beratius is referring to the, the, the Sphira Sachachma, it's called Ratius. The first of the ten Sephirot. God is Mechadesh, Hashem renews himself every day to be to be the creator. The first thing that is necessary for there to be, for a creation to be, is there needs to be someone who takes responsibility to be the creator of it. So God assumes that responsibility to be the creator. The artist has to decide to be an artist every single day for the art to exist. That's what we're learning over here. Now, where is this kindness coming from? God emanates the attribute of kindness. So again, let's not forget, this is also the idea that God is emanating the sun. The sun is, if there's ever anything that gives life and kindness to the world, it's the sun. Sashem is making the sun every day. On a deeper level, what is the pnimius of the sun? The Torah. Hashem is emanating the Torah every day. What is the Torah? The Torah is the, the divine personality. God is emanating that divine masculine personality every day. But where is this kindness coming from? It's coming from a higher level of kindness. But that level of kindness is not an attribute. Because an attribute is already a design. And God is beyond all design. The design of being an attribute, that's already what he emanates every day, what he renews. Yeah, God renews himself to be kind every day. He renews his attributes of kindness. 
But then who is the emanator from where this kindness is coming from? So he tries to pull a fast one on you over here. He says, you know what that is? That's kindness. But all this, didn't you just say that kindness doesn't exist and we have to emanate kindness? Yeah, he says, there's a difference between the attribute of kindness and the supernal kindness. The, the, God in his essence is kind, but not defined by kindness, not a definition of kindness. More like he desires kindness. Now, when you say someone desires kindness, if you say someone, if, if, if you say someone is a kind being, then you're limiting him in the sense that he's kind and he's not mean. But that's already, a, there's a characterization and a definition and a specification to who he is and what he is. But if you say this person desires kindness, desire is still pre-definition. There's no kindness in it. Desire. And desire is simple. The same person can desire uh, discipline. I desire discipline. Desire is not a being who desires kindness doesn't necessarily mean they're kind. They desire kindness. So to say that God is kind, that's already a specification. That's giving him form. But prior to that, you just have the infinite and the infinite wants something. It desires something. What does it desire? It desires kindness. On this level, that's the higher kindness. And from that higher kindness, and this is where, now how do you know, where is this derived from this concept? There's a verse that says, Ki He desires kindness. So not that he is kind, not that he is a kind being, he desires kindness. Ki And now that's where it comes from. And that level is called keter, it's called crown. So the crown is still a level of desire. It's not yet definitions. It's not yet specific. But then God does not create the world from the level of desiring kindness because then Hashem would be very distant from the creation. Then Hashem would be, because he would still be utterly simple and undesigned and we would have no iota. We wouldn't be able to say about God that he's a compassionate father or a loving, giving, benevolent, generous being. Because he's not. He is unknowable and he desires kindness. So he did not create the world from the lofty state of him just desiring kindness, but not being kind. What he does is he shrinks himself and mitigates himself to become a kind being, which means to assume a personality. That's the concept that the Abishter lowers himself down into the spheres. Once he emanates spheros, spheros are already definitions. Now he is a kind being. And why does he do that? Because he wants to be up and close with us. So now he wants us to be kind. He is kind. He's actually a kind being. And we can see, we can say on him, Mr. Kindness. He is now a being. He's a, he's a being of kindness. He's not just, he is kind. We can speak of his attributes. Oh, now it's, he's so much closer to us. But that descent into that state of being, as being the husband of us, as being the man in our lives, the giver, the bestower, from his infinite self, that's something that requires an enormous descent on his part. He has to generate that. He has to descend. And here is the beauty of what he's going to say. He's going to say that we cause him to make that leap. We bring him. We first make him be our creator, and then he creates us. 
That's like the weirdest, most ridiculous statement I think has ever been said. We create our creator and then he can create us. Does that make any sense? That's insane. Okay, he, he <laughs> initially the first time he, he, he we couldn't create our creator if we never existed. So he he initially created us, but the moment after he creates us, he throws the whole <laughs> the wild stuff. He stoles the he throws the whole control panel into our hands, even making him him. This is crazy. Then we make him him so he can make us. Do I have to teach anything else ever after that? I think that's the best concluding statement that we've ever said over here. But it's true. That's what he's explaining over here. He's saying that God, he, cre- he created us for a second, for a moment. And then he said, now, now you create me so I can create you. Because the kindness, he, he becomes kind in order to create us. But then he says, goodbye, I'm leaving. And we continuously have to recreate our creator so that he can create us and be our husband. In other words, we need to draw him out. We need to draw the sun out of its chuppah. Chuppah is above him being the husband. When he is in the distant, infinite state of being simple and utterly undefinable and unknowable. He, as he says, that's what he's explained now. The infinite one blessed is he. You cannot speak of an attribute of kindness. As stated explicitly in the Zohar. That Hashem does not have a knowable tzedek. Tzedek is the attribute of of um, of malchus of righteousness, which is malchus. Hashem is not of any of these midas. Hashem doesn't have essentially any of these characteristic traits. Ella, rather, This is comes about through many contractions and hishtalshalut. Hishtalshalut means he evolves himself through a series of unmeasurable amount of contractions and and filtration as he filters and filters and lowers himself down from cause to effect and then finally after a whole uncountable um series of these contractions he finally draws himself down as infinite light and he encloses himself into the attribute into the attribute of kindness. But in order for this radiance to come forth, and and this and this to be drawn into this state, So how was it? How does this? How does this happen? Here is where he's going to reveal this awesome secret. that is known. The beginning of the creation of the worlds. God desired. Initially, there was no one to spark him. He had to do this whole, this whole um, process on his own. He, he desired kindness on a level that he's not kind yet, but he desired kindness. And then when he desired the kindness, 
he he desired the kindness me'elav on his own umemela and and um, uh, without without any prompting. It was his own volition. The achshav and afterwards b'serusa dilatata talia, and afterwards by the arousal of below, it's dependent. B'serusa dilayel, the arousal above. In other words, in order to get God to become a a a a a in a relationship with the creations, our our arousal from below triggers his arousal from above. We get him into the mood of being a creator. In order for the infinite light to be drawn, that he should desire kindness, and then from that desire of kindness, and also, here's the idea. The infinite being, who says he has to desire kindness? He doesn't have to desire anything. So first, we stimulate, we touch him on such a deep level before he desires kindness. And we awaken in the pure and infinite that he should desire kindness. And from his desire of kindness, he then descends into that he himself becomes a kind being. That he descends into the emotion of kindness, which is already a a description in God. And as we spoke, that's because he wants to create from being close to us and not being far from us. And he wants us to be able to assimilate him into us. And how do we assimilate him into us when we follow in his ways and we actualize our lives to be according to the Torah, according to the divine design, then God can literally slip himself into us and we can be him and be completely one flesh with him. Like a husband and wife, we get married. So first he has to become a husband and then we can be his wife and we can become him. And unify with him. So that's the next step. If he remains invisible and unknowable and un on the level of Keter and the level of Ain Sof, then we could never be him and one with him. So the whole process. So, but first, after he after he created us, he moves himself back into the indescriptive state, and he wants us to generate everything from the very quintessential beginning, starting from even before desiring kindness. We have to, we generate within the infinite one a desire for kindness. And once he desires kindness, which is still in Keter, it's the external of Keser. The innermost of Keser is the Orient Sof, prior not even having any desire for kindness, not having a desire for anything. From there, we generate a desire of kindness. And from the desire of kindness, that becomes the energy that he should descend into becoming a kind being, which means becoming the husband. And once he is the husband, He's then influencing and interacting with us. And this arousal from below, and this is what it says, So till now we focused on the end of the verse, which means, when God wanted a world, Olam means a world, or when God, as we just said now, a deeper meaning, a world over here doesn't only mean the world itself. The world means the divine structure as a creator for the world is already also called the world. Like the world of Atzilut is not a creation yet. It's Hashem descending into a certain personality. That's what Atzilus is. He emanates attributes. And in order for that to happen, what happens? Chesed Yibana. What's Chesed Yibana? 
that needs to be built every every moment. Kindness and all the other attributes are continuously built. The one world word he did, we didn't explain yet is Amarti. Who said? Ki Amarti means when I said. Who said? Here's the deep secret. The deep secret that he's revealing over here is who's the one who says Ki Amarti Oilam Chesed Yiban? Who spoke? Who spoke that causes God to descend and become the and become a kind being? So King David is saying it. Kiyamarti, when I spoke. So David Amelech is saying, I am speaking God into existence. But King David is not saying it on his own behalf. King David, David Amelech, is the root soul of the Shekhinah. Because he is king. And Shekhinah is Malchut, kingship. So David Amelech is the, the core of Sfirat HaMalchus, of the attribute of Malchus. And who else is embedded in Malchus? Who else? Who is attached to the Shekhinah? All of our souls. So who? So when David HaMelech is saying, when I spoke, he doesn't mean I as him. He means I as the source of all Jewish souls. And he says, really, when we speak, who, who is we? We're the bride. We're the girl. We're the wife. When we speak, we generate our husband. We create our husband. We create him. We create. We structure him into a structure that he can be our man. Then, of course, he's our man. We're 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 just a creation. We need to receive, because but because we need a giver, he comes into being as a giver. Before that, he is infinitely beyond being a giver. But then we draw him down into being. Not that we create God, but we create God as a creator. That's what we create. Kiyomarti, when we speak. Now he's going to delve deeper. What does it mean, speak? Speak is not really saying words. He's going to explain it's more, it's more when we long. When we think, when we meditate. When we meditate, we meditate God into existence. We meditate the creator into existence. We dream of him and we create him in our dreams. It's almost like we're, 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 we, we, we're, we're, we are driving this whole force in our thoughts. Because he's going to explain Amira doesn't really mean speech with the mouth. It's, it's the thoughts in the heart. It's words of the heart. Not words so much abstract words of the mind, but but, but emotional words, it's the words that take place, thoughts that are continuously in our heart, which means words that are like connecting intellect and emotion together. It's where, it's where that interaction takes place. That's when we're drawing gods down into emotion. We're going to see that in more detail. But the first idea is to recognize that King David is saying on our behalf. We're the ones who continuously generate Hashem to be chesed yibana, to structure his own kindness. King David says this ba'at klal Yisrael for the sake of the Jewish people. Ki amarti meaning pidish. Kasher ani oimer. When I speak, ozei chesed, chesed yibana. Then chesed is built. Kindness is built. 
So this is an awesome contribution that the Jewish people do for, for the entire world, right? We would have to agree because this power was given to Israel. Okay, so now, when we speak Pirish Kasharani, I mean, when I say, as a chesed yibana, then kindness is built. Now, when we say we speak, what are we talking? Which talk? Does it mean our words of prayer? Does it mean our words of Torah? What exact? Which words are we talking about? Who believe? The meaning, the meaning of this amira is in the heart. Because you know, there's two words that express speech in Hebrew. One is Vayomer, and the other one is Vayedaber, Dibor and Amira. We find it all over the Chumash, all over scripture. You have Vayomer and Vayedaber, like Vayedaber Hashem al Moshe, God spoke to Moshe, or Vayomer Hashem. So there's many um, explanations of why, what the difference between is Dibor and Amira. But one of the places is the sages say that when it says Vayomer, it means more an inner type of speech. It's when a person is talking to themselves inside themselves. Dibor means articulation in the mouth, actual words. And Amira, it can be, it, it's not abstract thought that's called, that's not Amira. Amira is it's when you're thinking very much and you can feel the words. The words are like very pronounced. That's Amira. Amira is in the heart. Words of the heart. Which are words of thought. Now, as opposed to words of, of, of the mind, which are more abstract, where you don't hear so much the words. You don't hear yourself so much talking. It's like when, you, when you're very deep in thought and a, and a very, very abstract type of thinking and deep thinking, then you just hear concepts. You're not, even though there too there is words, but the words are very, very subtle. But when you get excited about something, you're walking down the street and you're, I don't know, you're fantasizing that you're going to win the lottery. Tomorrow night, I think there's a big lottery of about $900 million. Now that I spoke about it by the sheer, maybe I'll be thinking about it tomorrow. So you're walking down the street and you're daydreaming and then you start thinking. So that's an emotional because you're, you're excited. You want to win the lottery. So you, and you start thinking, what are you going to do with the money? And suddenly you're there, suddenly you feel like you're a billionaire already. You understand? You're all excited and your thoughts. But those are very emotional kinds of speech. And you can literally, you can record yourself. You can hear words. You're talking to yourself in your mind. So that's a, a, an emotional form of speech. Speech with a lot of, and speech that's driving. Now what's happening is that type of words, as we're going to see in a moment, those words that are spoken in the heart, which means that are blended with, it's an idea. It starts with an idea. But the idea is like not so much in the head. It's coming into the, more closer to the heart, more closer to the to the self, to the and over there, the more you think it, the more intense it intensifies the emotion. So letters of words, because you know it's it's this imagination and this fantasy in which but it's it's in this um in these words that stir the emotions. And if you if you stop it, you can kind of like calm the emotion. But if you allow yourself to continue this fantasy, the emotion becomes like very, very intense, worked up. It can really grow and grow and grow. So here's the idea. When we have to stimulate God's emotions, we don't want God to just be a kind being. 
kind being, like he's kind. We want God to feel like energy. He's like super kind. He's like intensely kind. He's he's in love. He's madly in love. He's passionate about the creation. So we have to activate supernally God's thoughts to think about the creation and to think about to, 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 to like almost like God starts fantasizing about the creation. And in that fantasy, he creates within himself emotions. That's where he becomes kind. That's where the emotions are created from that speech. He's going to explain that's the idea that Bina is the mother of the emotions. We know there are six emo- seven emotions. Chesed, Gevura, Teferis, Netzachod, Yesod, Malchus. Bina is called the mother of the emotions. And when we say Bina is the mother of the emotions, we know what does that mean? When you contemplate about something, it creates emotions. You get excited. But it's explained in many places that a very abstract contemplation is too lofty. usually doesn't excite the emotions. You have to really bring it down. You have to bring it down. You have to bring it down. It can't be so abstract. That's why it says that when you meditate on and prayer, you shouldn't pick the most abstract ideas because they're very hard to, to like. You know, you have to start thinking and meditating not with your, with your brain so much. You have to meditate with your heart, and that's what the Zohar says. Bina liba, bina is the heart because bina reaches down. Chachma is still very abstract. Chachma is the flash of an idea. Bina is more that you're grasping it, you're understanding it. And from the intellectual understanding, somehow from the brain, it extends from the back of the head through the das, it goes down into the heart. And then suddenly it's your heart thinking, not not your, so it's a very warm kind of thinking, a very emotion. And it triggers and it develops and it creates and it expands the emotions. So when we want that, and that has to happen continuously to God. We have to create his emotion of kindness for him to create the world. And what stirs the emotions? Those words. Who controls those words? What will God fantasize about? We can help him with that fantasy. We think, and that's why, and, and it takes place in us also, when we are fantasizing our relationship with God. When we are, medit- when we are creating these thoughts, these thoughts, and we and, and 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 obviously we do that during prayer and during Torah study. We we prepare all this creates within our a a a inner speech that's taking place. It's an inner words that are taking place, but not so much in the head, more in the heart, which is our love to God and our desire to be in a connection with Him, and so on and so forth. That has cosmic effects on levels that are uncomprehensible in the bina above to create the divine emotions which then create and bring God down. As we said, chesed yibana, we, we build this chesed. And that's what King David says, ki amarti, when I speak. It's in each and every one of our hearts to create God's mood, to stimulate these emotions within Hashem. So that's what he explains over here. Ki amarti, pidish kasherani, oimer, as a chesed yibana. Upchinas amirizu. And what is this speech? This is a speech that's he believe. It's type of an amira that's in the heart. It's thought. And the desire of the heart. How do you get to have those fantasies? How do you get to fantasize spirituality and holiness and connection with God? Obviously, you need to learn. You need to study. And you need to meditate. It starts off more with abstract meditation. But when you, do, when you focus 
and you don't, you, you try, you make an effort not to leave it just as an abstract idea, but something that you're really chewing on and drawing it down until it touches your heart. When we contemplate the oneness of God, and we contemplate, what does that mean? That everything we see and everything is nothing, is, isn't anything else but the divine influence that's creating and sustaining and making everything. So then we, we, we start creating a, within ourselves a desire to, to, to connect to him. From the innermost of our hearts, of, from the innards of the person. And from the depth of the heart. And then, these thoughts, they construct God's kindness. And our arousal from below, Ruach, I see Ruach, is what the Zohar uses, an interesting term. The spirit draws the spirit. Our, when our spirit is longing for him, it draws his spirit, and it draws down God's spirit. Like it says, there's a verse that says in Pashas Kisovo, in Deuteronomy, towards the end, it says over there, Simply the, the way Rashi interprets the word, which means you designated God as a singular God and God designated you as a singular people. That's how Rashi explains it. You designate, you separated. God says to Israel, you have singularized me because the, we're dealing in a pagan, when the world was full of paganism and there were gods a dime a dozen. All over the place. Every 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 corner there was another God, another another statue, another deity that people were serving. And God says, You, the Jewish people, you made me one. You declared monotheism, a singular God, one creator. So you did the designated me to be me and no one else. And God designated you to be a singular nation in this world, to carry his oneness. That's the simple meaning. The Alter Rebbe gives an amazingly deep interpretation. As Hashem ha'emarita means. It's wild stuff. As Hashem ha'emarita. Hashem, who is, would be infinitely floating above, infinitely withdrawn into himself. Ha'emarita, you make his amira, you make him think. You make him fantasize a world. Ha'amarta, you create in him those words that create these emotions, as we say earlier. It's somewhere between the head and the heart where these words, where these words act as fuel to stimulate an emotion, like we see within ourselves. We get excited about something when we when we speak in our heart. Those words that speak in our create all of our emotions. But here's the cool thing: we make ha'amarta, we make his. He's daydreaming. We cause him, when, when, when God will daydream, that daydreaming is caused by us. We cause those thoughts that create his emotions. How? When we daydream about him, it 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 reverberates and causes his. The sages say, Asisuni, you've made me. You've made me. You made me a, a khativa, one, one entity, but all in the world. What does this mean? Before you come along, I am above the world. I'm outside of the world. I'm higher than it because I need to structure my emotions. You made me, Asisuni, you've made me. Through what? Through you 
driving my thoughts. You're drawing my thoughts to you. It's almost like if we can find a physical example about this. It's almost like a person who for whatever reason is very content and very happy and very, very living a, a beautiful life single. Doesn't dream of having a family, doesn't dream of having a, a children. It, it's whatever reason. It's not one of his or her interests. They're perfectly fine being single, living alone and living their life. They have their business that they tend to and there's nothing lacking in their life. Until there's a certain girl that they meet. And then this, suddenly this girl creates within this person a desire to be married, a desire to have children, a desire to have a family, a desire to have grandchildren, a desire to be. And it's all about her. She turned them on to the whole thing. She turned them on and she continues to turn them on all the time. Into being the, playing the role of being the father, husband, caretaker. And she takes them out of, of his private world where he naturally is comfortable and maybe there's a little bit of that discomfort but she creates a pleasure there and 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 a reason and a motivation for him to get to get and that's exactly what it is god found a girl that stimulates him that he's madly in love with and be, and 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 but we focus on it we keep his mad his mad loveness his mad love alive continuously Driving him into the relationship. And this is the meaning of wild purish, the Alter Rebbe says. And a Pasik we say we say all the time. We say in Vaivarich David in our prayers in the morning, we say, um, to you, God, Hagadula is greatness, Hagavura, and Mait, Tatiferes, Vanetzach, and and victory, Vahod, and glory. And we say he call because everything that's in heaven and in the earth. to you, God is kingship. He's going to focus on these four, four words. Everything that's in heaven and on earth. He says like this. Going back to the theme that we spoke earlier, that everything is a everything in the world reflects male and female, reflects the concept of this of this of this idea of a couple. Because God creates the world based on, a, on on this idea of marriage, of a couple. So everything. So we spoke before, sun and moon are married to each other. Another couple we mentioned earlier is heaven and earth. In that case, heaven is the, is the husband and earth is the wife. Heaven is male and woman is female. And, 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 um, and earth is female. Okay, so let's broaden that if that's the case. So God is called heaven. And creation is called earth. Now, more specifically, God himself is not called heaven. But the divine, the configuration of divine attributes, which really means God becoming a engaged and involved as the creator of the world. God lowering himself down to be a creator to the creation. And assuming that, that's called Shemayim. Why? What did we say earlier? That's... It's that structure is based on God's emotionals, the, the emotional design of God, right? Which is his personality of his emotions, his character of his emotions, which we spoke earlier. What's the most dominant emotion in God that he put into the world to structure kindness? 
That's why the word shamayim comes from the word shamayim. Over there, there's water. Water is kindness. So then, if that's the case, if we say shamayim over there is kindness, who is the over there that there is kindness? In God, there is kindness. Because over there, there's limitless kindness. Shamayim. So when you say shamayim, besides meaning the heaven, it means God as the male, as the creator. What is Aretz? Aretz is, if he's the man in the relationship, he has to have a wife. We are the woman in the relationship, and that's the earth. So earth is us, he is heaven, and we are, that's why the sages say a lot of times, you should have fear of heaven. Fear of heaven? Fear of God. No, heaven is a heaven is a metaphor for for God Himself. God as our master and king and our ruler and our and our husband and our right, our God. It's called heaven. Shamayim over there is water. Oh, but we learned now the secret that God naturally is beyond being a heaven. He needs to be brought down to become the heaven for the earth. For that, it says in the verse, ki kol Kol, the word kol, is the source of shamayim. Kol, which means everything in Hebrew, is the source for shamayim. What does that mean? Kol, the numeric value of the word kol, is 50. Chaf and lamid is 20. Chaf is 20, lamid is 30. If you subscribe a number to every letter, so together they make 50. When you hear the number 50 in any 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 class on mysticism, you right away know that that's referring to the attribute of Bina. Because in Bina, there is what we call 50 gates of wisdom. Chamishim Shari Bina, the 50 gates of wisdom. So therefore, Bina, which is the power of understanding, has 50 gates. No, not 50 gates of, of, of wisdom. 50 gates of understanding. Chachma is wisdom. Bina is understanding. So there's 50 gates of understanding. So now let's get a little deep, a little, a little, a little let's analyze this a little further. In Bina, when we say gates of understanding, what's gates? What does it mean gates? Say 50 components of understanding, 50 powers of others. What's this gates? A gate is an exit. You put a gate, a gate is a, in Hebrew, the word gate doesn't only mean a fence. It means a gateway where it opens up. And, and So 50 gates of understanding, the 50 Shari Bina, are where Bina exits. Where does it exit? It's the extension of Bina from understanding into the emotions. Because the way the energy flows, as we discussed earlier, it flows from the understanding into the, when I understand and appreciate something, and if it's a lovely, wonderful, incredible thing, I get excited about it. I I, I experience an emotional trigger. The the intelligence, the idea triggers an emotion, fuels an emotion, stimulates an emotion, sometimes creates an emotion. But that idea, as we spoke earlier, is that from very abstract understanding, it doesn't happen. When you're very deep inside the understanding, you know, you're not excited about it. When you allow the understanding, you go out a little bit and you allow the understanding to come lower and lower and more, more into like lowering down, lowering, you're drawing it from your head into your heart. 
that's where, that's why we said earlier, Bina, even though Bina is, is in the left side of the brain, the Zohar says Bina Liba, Bina comes to the heart. Because Bina extends from the brain to the heart. The 50 gates of Bina is Bina's exiting from its abstraction down into the emotions. And that's what's creating Shamayim and Aretz. You say earlier, in order for Hashem to be called Shamayim, which means Shamayim, in order for him to have kindness, is to stimulate his love and his passion for the creation. It's the Bina that does it. And not the abstract Bina, but the, the words. Remember, we spoke earlier, the words of Bina. Bina, when it comes into words, it's that, it's that thought, that thought, that continuous thought that you're thinking about something. And that's what creates the emotions. So Kikol, the Kol is what's Pashamayim Varetz, is what creates first the Shamayim. And then the Shamayim, once God is now becoming a, when Hashem now assumes the nature of a kind being, and he is full of passion and desire to bestow. He's full of love to who? To his bride, to the creation in general, to Israel in particular. That's Shamayim and Aretz. But the question is, who can stimulate the call? It's only if he thinks it. Who makes him think this? So how do we get the Bina active? It's so important to get Bina active because when there's no Bina active, there's no Shamayim. And if we have no heaven, we're in trouble down here on earth if there's no heaven. There needs to be a heaven. For a heaven to be, there needs to be a call. There needs to be the 50 gates of Bina to create the Shamayim, to create the kindness. Who makes the call? So watch another whopper. We are called Kala. Kala is the letters Kol. Kolhe. The Kala, the bride, whose main etymology of her word is Kol, she has the key to create those fantasies in his mind that he should be excited about her and want a relationship with her. So even though Malchut is earth and it's lower than Shamayim, yet she is the bride. So she, as I mentioned earlier, it's like a man who has no interest in being a husband, no interest in having a family, no interest in being engaged in whatever in this whole situation until he met this one girl and he changed his mind completely. That's the Kala. There is a famous statement in the sages. It says, Ezo Isha Kishera, what is called a kosher woman? When is a woman an appropriate woman? Ha'oi said it's signed by law. She's always concerned for the wish, for the will of her husband. Simply it means, simple meaning is, a woman who is devoted and dedicated to her man, to her husband. And when she knows he wants something, she goes out of her way to do what he wants. That's the simple meaning. Say the, the mystics explain a much deeper Hasidic interpretation to this, much deeper. What's the do? Who makes her husband have a will. Not she, he has a will and she listens to his will and does his will. She creates his, his will. 
A real woman is the one who creates passion and energy and life and desire in the, in the husband to live and to want to be engaged and to be involved and because she's such an attraction to him. She's such a life-infusing being that she's constantly creating in him will. Okay, the Hasidic masters used to explain this as a woman should create with her husband, within her husband's spiritual will, a will to go on and learn Torah and to do mitzvahs. She's the real drive in him. But on a deeper level, at a much core essential level, a man should live and want to live because his wife is is such is such an is such a stimulator of, of, of excitement in him, not only in regards to, for intimacy, in, in the entire life. She's his pulse in life. We see a lot of times, very sadly, you see a lot of times situations, particularly by men, much more than even by women, that if God forbid their wife passes away. It's downhill. Doesn't take more than a very short period, and they're ill and they're frail, and sometimes they're just they, they, they just can't live without it. It's where their wife becomes literally their heartbeat, and she's and that's the power of a woman. A woman has the power to draw that out, and we as Israel, as the as God's wife, have the power literally to give him an oomph and a desire to create, and that's kala. Kala means creating the words, the letters, creating the fantasy, creating those words that God needs to fuel his own personality as a creator and as a, as a source of life to the creation. The Shamayim is referring to Hashem as Shamayim. Over there, there's water. This is the spernal kindness in which he provides and gives life down here to the earth. Once God is kind, the world is pumping with blessings. There's endless goodness and blessings. But what draws him into being Shammai and being the heaven? What's called? These are the 50 gates of Bina. Which is the numeric value of the word called. So, but who is the thing? God wired us with him. When we have holy thoughts and when our mind, when our speech, when our inner speech is talking godliness and exciting us towards God, that creates the supernal speech above by God. And it draws him down. For him to fill his water tank of kindness. To be a kind being. Which means to activate him as a kind being. I am the Mikdash Melech, Pepidish Azari Chodesh Alava Yechiv, I am Bezari Parshas Vayigash, Apostle Koinen Shamayim Betvuna, that he establishes the heaven with Tavuna. Tavuna is Bina, Bina creates the Shamayim. And it says over there, Kol Yoima Vayoima, every single day God creates the heavens with Tavuna. That means Bina is creating heaven daily. Vezau Yibana Lashen Hoyve, that's also Chesed, we said earlier. Chesed Yibana, Chesed needs to be built constantly. What's the cause that's constantly? It's the constant thinking. It's the constant words of the heart. It's the Bina continuously. Emotions die out very quickly. Unless you continuously feed an emotion, it dies out. That's why the best idea is when you have a negative emotion. The best thing when you have a negative emotion is to stop feeding it. It's hard because when you have already an emotion, the emotion pulls your thoughts. But if you, when as soon as you're conscious, you say, I'm not thinking that. 
I'm not going to, I'm not going to allow my thoughts to go there. You distract yourself with something else. The emotion fizzles out, gets weaker and weaker until it doesn't have any energy. So just like in, God forbid, in ending an emotion, the same is the opposite in fueling an emotion. So good emotions, you should constantly think things that, that will, that will, that will fuel your emotions. So God, but here's the thing, we control God's thoughts. That's the wild idea of you. Vigam yibana is bina. Yibana means a constantly building it. But how is it built? Yibana through bina. Same letters as the word bina, which is understanding, is the same letters as yibana, which means construction. It's the bina, the letters of bina that construct the kindness. And therefore, kikol bashamayim. The 50 gates of Bina is what make the heaven be a heaven. And from there, once the heaven is heaven, then the heaven can give and bestow. Then the man can be a man and be the caretaker and the lover of his wife and give her everything like God wants to give us everything. Okay, well now, but here's the secret. Who holds the key to God's thoughts? Knesset Yisrael Nikrakala. And Israel, the ensemble of souls, is called bride. And what does bride mean? We receive from this level called called Bina and Malchus are related because Bina is called mother and Malchus is called daughter. And like it says, in the, in, there's a verse that says, like mother, like daughter. So Bina and Malchus are the two Hays of Hashem's name and they pass energy on from one to each other. So the mother, the Bina element empowers Malchus with these letters, and when Malchus thinks and fantasizes about her husband, that means when we allow our minds to continuously think about our relationship with God, we cause God's thoughts to constantly be upon us, and those thoughts that are constantly about us are what stimulate and create this enormous amount of kindness and love and compassion for the creation. So what is it on our end? What is it that we have to do in our end, that stimulates his, we need to long for him. We need to have this constant murmur in our heart, the heart murmur. Our heart has to constantly talk to us with longing for our, and to be in a, I mean, a girl causes a man, drives a man crazy, is constantly pulling at his heart if she's longing for him. In other words, she creates it. Through this arousal of the heart or desire of the heart, ruach icy ruach va'amshich ruach. Our hearts have is nothing is so powerful. The yearning of our heart is like this creates this cosmic pull. And this is the meaning of it says in the pasuk, "Forever, O God, your word stands in the heaven." There's <laughs> another. Every single line over here, the Alter Rebbe keeps it hitting home runs out of the park. The area also, a fresh explanation on a verse. It says, forever, O God, your word stand in the heaven. Also a, ver- a verse from Psalms, from Tehillim. Forever, Hashem, your word stand in the heaven. What does that mean? Forever, Hashem, your word stand in the heaven. God's bride, which is us, that are called earth, we are also called 
we're rooted in the attribute, the feminine attribute of malchut, and malchut is called speech. Malchus pem, malchus is the mouth, speech. So uh, the emotions, the heaven, heaven is emotions, the, the kindness, the, and the recipient, and we're, we're, even in a human being, it, each and every one of us has a heaven and an earth inside of us as well, built in. See, everything that we study over here exists on the enormous scale and on, and on the little scale of our in, inner infrastructure, each and every one of us. So we have a heaven and an earth inside of us. Our heaven is our emotions. Where our emotions flow, usually when your emotions, it flows into words, into speech. We spoke earlier that words create deeper words. Amira, the, 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 the thought, the bina, which is also words. But words of thought, they create the emotions. But once you're emotionally excited about it, what do you do? You, once your emotions are kicking strong, you don't keep it just in thought. Then you speak to others. That's what happens. Emotions drive you people to go. People are excited about you. You get excited about something, you want to share it. You want to say this to somebody. The way it always works. Every excitement, it's almost like if, if you don't have who to say it to, it drives you crazy. You get excited, you heard someone is engaged. Okay, someone very close to you, you love them. You're, you're, someone had a baby, someone is, I don't know, whatever it is. Someone dear, someone excited. Something amazing happened to you. You need to share it with someone. Emotions need an outlet. They need a flow into what they flow into speech. Oh, that's again a coupling. A husband and a wife. The emotions is the energy. The words are the wife. That's the vessel that receives. So emotions are heaven. Words are earth. Now the verse says, forever God, your words stand in the heaven. What does that mean? It means that the recipient, which is Malchut, which is the earth, which is called words, they stand in the heaven. What does it mean they stand in the heaven? They command the heaven to be a heaven. The, shik- the souls down here in the world, the recipients, we, as well, this this the idea that we mentioned earlier at the beginning of the class, not the beginning, somewhere in the middle when I got all excited about that, is that we make God be the creator and then he can create us. That was the idea. We bring him down to assume the role of creator and then he can create us. Then he creates us. So that's the, that's, that's hinted to in this verse. Forever God, your speech, which is Malchut, it's the recipient, Nitzav, it's standing Bashamayim. It's standing in the heaven and Nitzav means, he uses later, he says, it's like a king that stands. When a king stands, a king commands. We command the heaven to be a heaven. It's a wild idea. The word of God. The source of the Jewish souls. And then that trickles down into every single soul. They're the ones who draw down the heaven. They're the ones who create the heaven. Shamayim over there is water. We create his kindness. So God handed us everything. He handed us the keys to his heart. However, he says in Sif Bays in chapter 2, this we're beholding, hold it. But if we're just tiny creations, minuscule creatures, created by his infinite kindness, how in the world do we become so powerful? 
that we can actually create his heart. It doesn't make no sense. There is no comparison between a creator and a creation. So where in the world do we get that power from? In the story we said before, when you have a man and and he's living his life and there's a girl suddenly that turns into his life and she's literally driving him crazy. She becomes literally the soul of his life. He starts living for her. Everything is so, he's so, he's so driven by it. That's because they're both humans. They're not too far off from each other. She's beautiful. She has chain, whatever it is. She's got the charm. She's just got something that touches him. Because from the very beginning, she's, there's a certain equality over here. Well, you're dealing with God, the infinite creator, the one who creates heaven and earth, the absolute infinite being. And we are products of his infinitesimal little crumb of a 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 crumb of his infinite potential, which he creates us. And then we become the ones who move him and shake him. How does that work? That's his next question. to understand How can there be any kind of comparison, any value given to a creation in comparison to the creator Yisbarach? And so much so, that we should draw down the infinite being, that we should create his, his thoughts that will now generate his emotions, which really means we're drawing him down from a withdrawn, completely infinite, boundless place. And from there, we make him into a creator. How does that happen? In Exiv. Oh, so that idea, it goes back to what we said in the beginning when we said the son comes out, the son who is the, who is the groom, he's coming out of a chuppah. The, 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 like a groom. When you, when you initiate a marriage, you have heaven and earth. Think about it. When a, when a couple comes out, next time you watch a couple, right after they break the glass and the couple comes out from under the canopy, and everybody's wishing Mazel Tov and hugging him and her, and it's a, it's a happy occasion. Simatav and Mazel Tov. Close your eyes for a minute and watch the sun and the moon. Just walk that, and watch heaven and earth, and then go deeper and see God and 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 Israel walking together. It's it's like levels upon levels that are taking place. It's awesome. But where are they coming from? Where do they emerge from? As a couple, that he will now play the role as husband, not just as a man on the street. He's a husband to his wife and he's locked into her, into her soul. They're locked together for all of eternity. How does that happen? Where, does, where, is, that, where is that created? It's created under the chuppah. So the chuppah must be very powerful. So what's that chuppah? That's what he's going to explain. And in our relationship, when we come out of the chuppah and it's us and God, <laughs> God is walking down the aisle now with his bride. And his heart is now forever in our hands. How did that happen? The chuppah created. So before God married us, he first constructed a canopy. And that canopy is what hitched us with him in a way that we're inseparable. And we have, we have suddenly, once, before we were, before we went under that chuppah, we were absolute tiny little shmendriks, which means big, it's a good Yiddish word for being a nobody. 
and we come out of the chuppah, we are everything. The chuppah is what kind of equalized us to God. Took us from being literally a nobody, not nobody, a creation, like everything else is a creation, and blew us up so big and so enormously tremendous that we have absolute true significance and power and sway over God. How is that possible? It says in the Pasuk, So now we're going to introduce a new verse. This is a verse in Isaiah, in Yeshaya. This is talking about in Yeshaya Perikhe, no, Perik Dalit, in Isaiah chapter 4, verse number 5. Here it's talking about the enormous goodness that God is going to do for for the for for the world and particularly for Israel, Jerusalem during the time of the redemption. So we we all familiar that when we or we should be familiar when we went out of Egypt there was a period of enormous divine affection. And that was during the time of the desert. God literally revealed all his love to the Jewish people. And one of those signs of affection was that we can literally look and see that he's dwelling over us. They made the tabernacle, and on the tabernacle, by day, it was covered with clouds, which indicated the divine presence. And at night, there was a fire burning, a fire pillar. The the tabernacle was covered by a blazing fire. And in the morning, it was covered with a cloud. You can literally see the presence of Hashem amongst the Jewish people. So the verse is saying that in the time of the coming of Mashiach, Jerusalem will also be that way. And it's a beautiful verse. It says, Ubara Hashem and Hashem will bless, Hashem will create Alkol Machoin Haratzion. Over the entire area of Mount Zion. That's Jerusalem. The entire area of Mount Zion will be covered with what? Vaal Mikraeha. And on all her environs. Which means, I guess, the neighborhood around it. What will Hashem, or as others explain, all those that Zion has called? Meaning, it's not only the city that will be will be gifted with this enormous gift, but all the invitees, whoever was invited, whoever the Zion, whoever Jerusalem has called, and what will be on top of them? Onon yoimam, a cloud by day, vaashon v'noiga eish lahavalayla. And a smoke and a glowing fire, lahava, a flaming fire, Lila by night. Every night, Jerusalem will be covered with a visible fire. And then it says, Ki What does that mean? For over all, honor will cover. Ki Because over all, covered which is honor, chuppah will cover. Chuppah is a covering. Simply it means, because over everybody who's in Jerusalem, honor will cover them. The divine, that's the biggest honor. What's the biggest honor? That God is hovering over us in a visible way. The the, the cloud, which is an indication of God's presence. The the Alter Rebbe is going to now discuss this, this verse. 
Ki al kol kavod chupa, much deeper meaning. Over all honor is a chupa. The way the Alter Rebbe learns it, on the deeper mystical meaning is. The in, let me already explain the investment, God's investment into any type of identity. As we discussed earlier, the infinite is the infinite, and the infinite leaves its undefined infinite state and emanates into and enclothes him himself into the various different attributes and so on and so forth. And that that and that is a and that goes through a series of a gazillion levels, as God emanates and invests Himself from level to level, from level to level. And each time He invests Himself into something, into some personality trait, or some attribute, or some sephira attribute, or world, or whatever it is, it, all of those come through enormous contractions. He has to contract himself into the into definitions when in essence he's beyond all definitions. That investment of Hashem into somethingness, like we spoke earlier, for God to be called the heaven or for him to be called the kind being, that's called honor. Why? Because when God is utterly unknown, and utterly or completely to himself, there is no honor. He's above everything. No one knows him. You can't honor someone you don't know. When can you honor a king? The honor of a king is his palace that he built, his gardens, his military that he has, his crazy entourage, his 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 his, his, his caravan, his his chariots, his his his, his, his whatever, whatever whatever. All the stuff that that. He expresses himself through the more glamorous it is, the more everybody's taken by the power and the awe of the king. So these things bring him honor. So when God is secluded and reclusive into himself, there's no honor. But when he emanates into all the emanations, he becomes splendid and beautiful, and that's the honor. So Kavod is Hashem's investment already and projection into. In general, that's called mamalikolalman. When Hashem is filling the world, he's lowering himself down already into some form of definition. So what is the verse saying? Ki or like we spoke earlier, that's the idea of the sun. The sun is already an emanation of God becoming a masculine being, a husband to the moon, or God being the heaven to the earth. And that is because God is already descending into attributes. That's called kavod. On top of the kavod, when we say on top of it, it means prior to it, and what's stimulating it is chupa. Chupa is an encompassing light, meaning it's not definable. It's not knowable. It's an energy that's above it's hovering above. It's not in a vessel. It's not in a container. It's not descriptive. So it's saying every time you find a certain lowering of Hashem into a certain projection, know that higher than that and before that, there's a sp- special energy that is driving that projection into somethingness 
there is a encompassing light that's 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 the that's the impetus, the power that's enabling enabling the investment into something is there's a first a stage called chuppah, and from the chuppah, and that's the idea. Where does the sun emerge from? What does the verse say? is like the chasan, comes out of the chuppah. And that's what we said earlier. The bride, it's almost like the groom is created under the chuppah. The chuppah is first, and the, and the chuppah, this canopy, creates the groom. And once he's there, because of the chuppah, and all of his life, the, it's this canopy that keeps him being the husband. In God, it means there is this chuppah level that keeps God down or else he would dissolve back into the nothingness. So for God to be a somebody, there is a chuppah that is a higher level of the divine that is the back, the force behind it. So now let's read inside. Piddish, what is the unique if it says in the verse, ki al kol kavod chuppah, piddish kavod, what is kavod? Covet is what it says in the verse. And for my honor, but also if I created it. <laughs> so the idea that God creates something, that brings him honor. But how does he create? By investing himself, by being a creator. Or Yitzartiv, I formed it. Afasisiv, I also made it. Also a verse in Isaiah and Yeshai. So that's all manifesting his honor. But honor is already a projection. What's before the honor? Shehem is covered. They are all the levels of his honor. And it's the enclosement of the infinite one. Blessed is he. Into the various different channels. Like the order of all the evolving worlds. And on top and above and prior to. Every kavod. There is something on top of the kavod. And higher than them. So the kavod is always lower than the chuppah that's that's on top of it. The chuppah is unfathomable. It's unknowable. It's makiv. It's encompassing. V'soyvev and it's surrounding. And why is it surrounding? Because it's a level of God that is not able to contract itself and be enclosed in the world. It's too lofty. It's too, it's too beyond. In order to enclose, it needs contraction. And this is still prior to contraction. So it's too lofty, too powerful. But it's there to support the descent. And it enables the descent. Without take away this, this chuppah, then, the, then, then there would never be the descent of, you can never have the chatan, you can, you can never have the groom if you don't first have a chuppah. For who are and koyach v'oyiz? And this is what gives power and strength. Ah. So now once we understand that every, every covered has a chuppah, so now, we'll now, now he's taking and he's saying, wow. So you should know what, you know who really walks home with the chuppah? I'm, I'm, I'm adding words over here, but this is apparently generally the idea. So the chassan and the kala, the groom and the bride leave, and he leaves the chuppah. He goes out of the chuppah. What happens with the chuppah after they left? They were there in order to get married. What happened? She takes in, she takes in and hides the chuppah in her pocket. And only because she has the chuppah, she can keep him constantly engaged with her. In other words, what does that mean? That God, this lofty level of chuppah, 
which is this incredible power, is what God slips to us. That we and God, God slips that into, into our, into our, so that as a result of us having access to that chuppah, we can continuously keep our groom being our groom. How does that happen? Where does God slip the chuppah into this very long? That's the Torah and the mitzvahs. The Torah and the mitzvahs contain this chuppah power. And because that chuppah power, as we spoke earlier, it itself is too lofty to be enclosed in the world. It's not the godly light that comes into the world. But yet, God created chuppah concentrate. And he concentrated chuppah into every mitzvah. The mitzvahs are, all have the DNA. They all have the, the substance of this infinite, boundless chuppah that's higher and beyond creation. And because we have that, and, and as a result of that, it gives power that our arousal from below shouldn't be just from a tiny little creation, but our arousal from below should have within it superpower, superpotency to be able to generate our husband all the time. And this is what gives power to the arousal of below. That it should be dependent in it, the arousal of above. That our action should have power or else there wouldn't be any power to our actions. Now, hold it. If it is so lofty, then it should be even more removed from us. If it's so lofty, it should be removed. And suddenly we're saying, no, that's the power we have to draw our husband. The husband, the level of husband is much lower than this. And if we say that between us and our husband, as much as God is concerned, is an infinite gap, so there's a much greater infinite gap between God prior to being a husband. We're saying, how do we bring down God to be a husband? By us having access to the energy of pre-husband. And where is that? That's the chuppah. That's in our Torah and mitzvahs that we can stimulate. But hold, how do we have connection to that? How does that? How? The answer is, there is a level where God is infinite. And when he's infinite, we are, he's infinite. He's infinitely big. And we are infinitely small. And therefore, there is a unbridgeable gap between us and him. And on that level, we say, the, there isn't possibly anything you can do to make yourself significant in God's eyes. Because he is an infinite, infinitely big. He's capable of everything and we're capable of hardly anything. And that's why there is such an infinite, boundless gap between us. However, there is even a deeper truth to God. And that is infinite. Infinite is also a description. Who says he has to be infinite? He's so beyond everything that he can be whatever he wants. And on that level, big, small, big means nothing and small means nothing. And therefore you can bring together big and small. It's like in the level of manifestation, when he manifests himself in terms of he's showing, ah, he appears as super big and we're small. He's the creator, we're the creations. But there's a certain point where creator creates all nothing. And from that place where He's beyond even being big. That's the chup. And that's why it equalizes the big, the big husband with the small wife. It equalizes them and joins them together. And that very, very, very lofty and 
endlessly high level where God is beyond being infinite and beyond being beyond that that is where Torah and mitzvahs are embedded on that level and from there God zip drives that that's the crazy thing he zips drives that he zips himself into these mitzvahs and delivers it to us and that is where we have power over him when we have once we have those mitzvahs we have power to draw him down all the time to control him in that sense because this level is so high from a level that is encompassing now a circle he uses the example he says an encircler encircles the top but encircles the bottom as well so there's a verse that says beneath God's arms that means beneath the creation and the lowest point is Hashem's hands the circular, the encompassing hands of God. So because it's so high, it's above the world, it's also below it. So it's everywhere. And 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 uh because on this level, high and low are equal. Now, this this very this level that's beyond high and low is associated with divine pleasure. You see, divine, deeper than divine will. Let's go back a little bit in the discourse. We discussed of God being a husband. God assuming attributes. That's where he's, that's where he's lowering himself down to have a relationship with us. But we explain that naturally he's above and beyond that. So we need to draw him down to be in that state. How do we draw him down to be in that state? We constantly tug upon the level where he desires kindness. He's not kind yet. He desires kindness. And we create the desire that he should want to be kind, to be a kind being. But then we said, but hold it. On that level where he desires kindness, or prior to desiring kindness, he... The creations are meaningless. Nothing has any relationship to him. He's infinite. He's big. He's boundless. And therefore, what kind of significance can we have? So we said, ah, higher than that level is the chuppah. And the chuppah empowers it. What's the chuppah? Chuppah is from a place where he's beyond infinite. So what's that? That level is associated with what's called the innermost of the crown which the innermost of the clown is related to, called Atik Yom in the Ancient of Days, which mystically is associated with the, with, with the, the God's private innermost pleasure. Why, we're, why this is particularly connected to the level of pleasure, we'll leave for now. The mitzvahs are drawn from this deepest inner, now it's again, it's a pleasure that is just utterly God's very, very inner true, true self. But we have no idea what it is. So it's almost like like the royal, the royal, the, the royal prince, the crown prince who's going to take over the kingdom. Falls falls in love with a peasant girl. 
Okay, so she's a really a peasant girl. She's not of royal stock. She's not, she's really a nobody. She's almost like a, a street girl. But he just saw her, and she just something about her just caught his eye. And now he's in love with her. But he's the prince. He's the crown. Is okay. So for now, he's in love with her. It's very, very likely, especially since over here, there's no politics involved in the sense that. You know, if he drops the relationship, he's going to cause a war because King Frederick of there married this one sister-in-law and it's a cousin with this one and that one and she's upset. And before you know it, it's a whole political situation like there was when there were kings and a big war breaks out because of it. So then there's a problem. She literally is a nobody, her family and everything. So he can dump her in a, in a split second because she means he's in love with her, fine. Today he loves her, tomorrow. How do you assure that he will always that she can have his heart all the time. Imagine if the teacher and the mentor of this little crown king, the king hired the biggest psychologist, the deepest, most wisest educator to educate him from when he was literally born. An overseer who literally a brilliant man because the king has all the money in the world and he knows this will be his prince. And this educator and mentor is watching this prince and guiding him. Literally knows the soul of the prince inside out. Knows every craving of his heart, every delight, every trigger because he literally watches them 24-7 for all the years of his life. Knows the inner map of his soul. Knows all the crevices and knows every nuance. Knows what he and, and and let's say this this prince is a real royal. We're not talking about you know fake. He's a real royal. He's got quite. He has it in his blood, ancient from his ancestors. They were kings for generations, and generations. He's no ordinary person. He really is a lofty human. Let's say we're kings. We're true kings. I'm not talking about fake kings, but kings. Let's say they were like King Solomon and King, true real great people. He knows this, and he wants this marriage to last. He knows this girl is good for him, although she's not from a popular family. So he sits down with her and teaches her the secrets of the inner heart of her husband. To know what it is the trigger that when you say that or do that, you, you just have them. You have him in your fit. You have him. And these were not even elements that were meant to be in a relationship. It's his own private self at the deepest core. Yet he gives those secrets to her as his wife. Because he doesn't want a divorce. He doesn't want any. He wants them to live happily ever after. That's what God did when he gave us the Torah and the mitzvahs. He gave us precious secrets that have to do with his inner heart. His inner pleasures. And we have no clue what they are. They're wild. They're the deepest, deepest secrets of secrets. And yet he handed us to us. And that's what assures this marriage to continue. Because whenever we perform a mitzvah, whenever we're doing, we are, we are reaching in to such a deep place in him that he can't, he can't resist us. He can't disconnect from us because it's so deep and it's so high. So that's the general idea that I 
which he's saying over here. This is the divine pleasure. This is the orange self. This is the infinite. From the root of all pleasure. It's the root of all life. Like it says, with you is the root of life. And this level, this is what is enclosed in the Torah and enclosed and enclosed in the mitzvot. And even though the way we, we receive the mitzvot and the Torah, we are receiving them in a very, in a very, in a very, um, in a very uh, physical form. And even though they are enclosed in, 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 in very physical actions, Okay, it's a physical action, but what that physical action is conveying is utterly, utterly super divine, super godly. And this is the meaning that we say, when we before we do a mitzvah, we say a blessing. And what's the blessing? The beginning, every mitzvah, the blessing is different. But the equal wording in every mitzvah, he sanctified us with his mitzvahs. That's the key. Sanctified means what is removed? Kedusha means what is removed, what is above. He gave us direct access to his true sanctity. Sanctity meaning as he is utterly removed from all of existence, where he is in his own private cell, when God runs away into himself because he doesn't want to have anything to do with anybody or anything and goes into his private little room where he has his own little hobbies, so to speak where he wants to lock the whole world out and play, his, play with his own toys, so to speak, those toys were shared with us. Those, those stimulators were shared with us. And that's what it is. He sanctified us. And he gave us God's mitzvahs. And therefore, as a result of that, our actions that we have, these are actions we can stimulate the arousal of above. And it's above, and that's why the mitzvahs are way above the world to come. Meaning the world, there are spiritual worlds of pleasure, of divine revelation. Those are all external, external lights of God. They don't come close to the inner, the inner delight and pleasure where these mitzvahs are rooted. It's like, you know, it's like we spoke earlier, the king, the king or the prince. There is the external selves, the external lives that they live, in which they bring pleasure to many people. They interact, they party with people, they meet with people. There's concerts, there's gardening. These are all nice and they all give pleasure. And so, but they're all part of the outer world of the king and his, and his prince with, with interaction. Then there's their own inner inner chamber, their inner world where they go to, to be with themselves and things that pleasure them that they don't share with anybody. It's just related to who they are and what they are at the deepest core. That's what God shared. What's that? Yours? Because with the Yud, the world to come was created. And he wants to show how, how amazing this is. Because the entire world to come was created only with a little crumb of God. The world to come is where all the pleasure that will be shared with, with us, 
with the world in the future. It was created with what? With one little crumb of God's light. The world to come was created with Hagam And even though it's a delight of souls, it's an indescribable, wondrous pleasure that souls have. Ad To literally, it's it's considered infinite pleasure. Acha Amru the Talmud tells us, Alalisha, who is Acher, it's better that he would be judged so that he should come to the world to come. A brief, 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 brief uh, statement about that story. The story was that there was one great sage, his name was Alisha, and sadly he became, he saw some things that didn't make any sense to him. He saw people suffer, which they don't deserve while they're doing a mitzvah, whatever. And it, made, it put questions in his eyes because it says in the Torah, if you do this mitzvah, you will live a long life. And he saw a person doing the two mitzvahs in which it says a person will live a long life and he, the person died at the time that he did it. So he felt that that was a contradiction to the truth of the Torah and therefore he dropped the Torah and he became an apostate. Literally, he became a, a non-believer. In the end, um, when he passed, but he was a huge sage. He was a huge scholar. When he passed away, his soul was going into very dark places. And the sages were, had, a, had a conference. The sages down here knew. They were able to trace his soul. They had a, they had a uh, satellite. And where they knew where this guy's soul was going, where this, where this um, enormous human being was going. And they weren't happy. They saw he's going into a very dark place. They felt close to him because he was one of theirs. And they knew they can prevent him from going into the place of suffering and darkness where you get cleansing. They knew they could save him from purgatory. However, they questioned. They said, if he goes, since purgatory is not punishment in essence, it's psychotherapy. It's a spiritual form of therapy where you cleanse. It's painful. It's very painful. It's enormously painful. But it's an, it's an extraction. It's a process. So they say it like this. If they prevent him from going through into purgatory, then he'll never make it through to the other side and get into and get into. Uh, into uh, the Garden of Eden, into the pleasurable place. So what's better? Is it better that he will never ever ascend up into the into the worlds of pleasure, into the great spiritual world, but at least we'll keep him back from his suffering? Or is it better that he should go through painful, painful, agonizing experiences on, and, and eventually as a result of that, he will be cleansed and purified and he will be able to move on to the p- pleasure. They, The sages decided let him suffer because it's good for him to go through the difficulty. Not be, they loved him. They said, let him suffer because it's worth it to, in order for him to have the pleasure of Ganed. Now, this rabbi, usually it says that the worst sinners only need to be cleansed at max 12 months. After, they, after the soul departs from the body, the worst kind of sentence if you can say that someone will get to go through the 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 pain is mostly 12 months doesn't exceed this fellow alicia because he was a rabbi and there was such a desecration of god's name for what he did ended up suffering for over like uh, like crazy decades and decades maybe a hundred years it's unimaginable what he went what the soul endured and yet the sages said, 
it's good for him. Why? Because the pleasure of the of of the of Gan Eden is so worth it, is so unbelievable that had they asked him if he's willing to go through it, he would say yes. Put me through the ringer, put me through the darkness to get to the light. That shows you how unbelievable sweet and ecstasy, how unimaginable ecstasy and blissful the the the, the Gan Eden is, the, the 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 world of pleasure of the souls. And that's the lowest level of, of, of the world of pleasure. In the worlds of pleasure, there is endless journeys of higher bliss and higher bliss and higher bliss and higher and higher and higher. And higher. Yet the Alter Rebbe says over here, that entire boundless, unmeasurable world of pleasure is all created from one little crumb of pleasure that God drops in to create that experience for the souls. Biyud, a yud is a line, a little dot, a little dot of God's pleasure potential, so to speak, is sheared in all that experience of the world to come. That crumb is a crumb from where? It's a crumb of God's own pleasure, because that's the pleasure that he can share with creation. Then there is his own pleasure, his delight, his delight has no end, has no description at all. And our Torah and mitzvahs that we do are rooted in his pleasure because they give him pleasure. Can you imagine the value of the Torah and the mitzvahs? Worth more than everything that there is in the world to come. So E is what he's explaining here. Even though it is a pleasure of souls, the Gemara says, it's better for him to suffer. All the suffering of purgatory was worth it for him to reach this level of pleasure. Even for the lower Ganeidin, the Ganeidin, and how much so for the higher Ganeidin. Because remember, we said Ganeidin itself has levels upon levels and journeys and journeys. Notwithstanding all of this, it's only a little droplet. It's only one little ray. It's one little glimmer of divine pleasure. But the Torah itself and the mitzvah, they are drawn from God's supernal, personal pleasure which is above, above, way above. This pleasure is rooted in the infinite, in the infinite light. But here he has to emphasize in the innermost of it, in its essence and in his honor, in the inner core of it. That's why the sages tell us, one minute of mitzvahs in this world is more worth than all the pleasures of the world to come. And here is the awesome thing. From that world of pleasure, from that amazing deep place, this is what gives power and strength to our souls and our beings. Where we find ourselves at the very, 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 very outer crust of creation. We find ourselves at the most nether, nether of all worlds, at the very, very bottom of existence and clothed in tiny little bodies. Yet, God gave us the Torah and the mitzvahs down here 
And what does it do to us? It takes our existence, which would be utterly meaningless, and it empowers and it potenizes us, if you can say, that we have such potency because we have these mitzvahs and therefore we can activate and, and stimulate God and drive his thoughts, as we spoke earlier, to create his emotions and make him be the creator who creates heaven and earth. It's those mitzvahs that do that. Um, we are within the covered. We access the chuppah in the covered. Now, we take the chuppah itself, that's Asher Kiddishanu, the, the holiness of the mitzvahs are coming from the chuppah. So that now our actions below can stimulate his, 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 his arousal above. That is above the whole order of worlds, from above everything. By your days and through this, I must cause a comes about Richel, there must be a machine at Sarah's God or Talmudshe, maybe. By days and Emshah Oris, Enes of Baruchuli is Penis Chasset Yibane. Once we are now empowered, then we can draw his light down that he should become our husband and he should descend, like I mentioned earlier, like the, the, like the, like the, like the, like the, like the uh, private tutor of the crown prince gives the secrets over to this girl that now she can make sure that her husband will be her husband all the time. And he won't like drift off into his royal retreats and forget about her because she's, she's just a peasant girl. No, she will have access to his heart because she just knows whenever she sees him drifting a little, she knows how to give him the exact pancake that he gives him delight. How did in the world that she learn that this is what he likes, this particular spice, she likes, he likes it like this. I'm using a silly, silly example, but that's just what it is. He never told anybody. No one would even know that. Yet she does know what it is, his personal trigger that triggers him. And just like we see physically, when it comes to the lights, human delights, because everything in the physical is really metaphoric to the, to the divine. One of the things you see about pleasure is pleasure causes expansion. The more pleasure one has, the more expanded their body becomes. To increase them and to make them bigger. One of the things that causes um, uh, weight or or growth in the limbs is pleasure. By the way, it says we once learned this amazing discourse that what causes a little baby to grow so much in the in the short period when they nurse is because the experience of nursing is an unbelievable pleasurable experience for the baby. Like they're nursing pleasure. And that causes such expansion. We also find that when a person experiences expansion, they, when you get the opposite experience pain, it does the opposite. Pain and causes contraction. So he uses that as an amazing thing. What causes our limbs and our organs to become expanded, that we become like divine beings in this world? Torah and Mitzvah. So that our actions have divine repercussions. It's almost like we're swallowing this pill of pleasure. God gives us a pill of pleasure. We have no idea. It looks like just a plain pill, but all the good stuff was put into that pill. The supernal pleasure that is enclosed in Torah and Mitzvah that's what increases and fattens 
koyach hanefesh, the power of the soul, lahaloisa, to elevate her, ulekoshra, and to bind, bond her, lamaila maila, above and above. That what? Beautiful. Leos eishes chayla teres baila, that she becomes the woman of valor, who is the crown of her husband. The crown of her husband means she controls her husband. He draws his will down. She gives him a reason to be alive. A reason to, and what, but how, if we're nobody, how can we have, we're not nobody. Once we have Torah and mitzvahs, we have the secret to God's, the map of God's inner soul. But as we're going to see later, we have no idea why. We have no idea what, where and when, why our black straps that we wrap, leather straps that we wrap on our head and our body with boxes is so thrilling to God. We have no idea because how, how can we even be, if we find out what it really is, how in the world would we know? It doesn't make a difference. We can still do it. That we should be able to draw down the infinite light, blessed to see. That he shouldn't clothe himself in becoming the heaven, as we spoke earlier. That he should fill his tank of kindness, like we discussed earlier. And this is the meaning, your words are standing. That means, means your wife. Dibor is malchus. Your wife commands you. It's a Jewish thing that the wife commands the husband. The husband listens to the wife. God is that way. We have full control over him. Nitzav means ministering. That's why Sarah, the first Jewish woman, she's called She's called a minister. God tells Abraham, listen to your wife. You know why? Because I also listen to my wife. That's the way God set it up. The word of God, which is halacha, that a person learns. Now the Alter Rebbe is taking it not just to us, but to the actual Torah study that we learn. Our Torah is is the varcha is, is is Hashem's words, even though they're enclosed in the material and the gashmis, the things they talk about seemingly legal matters and the like. It has dominance above. He says it makes fruit above. It empowers us to be the crown of our husband. We get kingship. And dominance, earth controls heaven. We control the supernal, the supernal realm. Over heaven. We tell God now, love us. We tell him, be kind. We tell him to create. And that's why we know that the big tzaddikim, they were, God fully gave over control of himself to them. We draw God down to be called heaven. And why is it? It's because God gave us his own personal triggers. He gave us his mitzvahs. He gave us what is so dear to him. He didn't give us. The Torah mitzvahs are not about us. It's about him. But it's given to us in a package that it also enhances our lives. Of course, but but that's not what it is. These are the deepest, deepest inner secrets of of God's inner workings. Kamayim Rizal, the sage, says, 
as the sages say, HaKadosh Baruch God puts on tefillin. Obviously, his tefillin look different than ours. They're not physical. But it's the same idea. Our tefillin encapsulate the God's tefillin. HaKadosh Baruch, and the sages also say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Every time we study Torah, it says God learns along with us. Kenegdo. And it says opposite us. And he's going to emphasize the word opposite us means on a level that is far bigger than us. We have no clue what's happening. It's it's transcendent. We don't have to understand it. But yet he goes along with us. He's soon going to say that's the meaning is God is your shadow. Whatever mitzvahs we're doing, he's shadowing us. He's doing those mitzvahs along with us. We are so entertaining him. We keep him unbelievably excited. The concept of Hashem puts on tefillin means that God gets drawn into the tefillin. And when we study Torah and God learns Torah, means He He directs His infinite light into Chachma. Because the Torah emanates from wisdom. Connect. And what does it mean? Connect. Though He does it along with us, but opposite. These divine repercussions, what we are causing, these pleasures that we stimulate in God is too lofty, too enormous for it to be enclosed in the world. <inaudible> Remains hovering above our experience. And even the pleasure that we experience in the Garden of Eden after our soul departs the world is not this pleasure. Because if we would experience this pleasure, we would dissolve instantly. We would be we would we 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 would be we would, we would be completely uh, shredded in this pleasure. It's too intense. It's God's pleasure. It's not possible for a creation to feel it. What God does is He takes one little crumb of that pleasure and 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 drops that into Ganeden to our to the place where the souls can find pleasure. It's a little crumb of that, but it's only a crumb of a crumb of a crumb. It's nothing. The real pleasure is in the divine, which is utterly bigger than the world. And this idea, is also hinted to when it says, Hashem Tzilcha, Hashem is your shadow. What's the idea of a shadow? A shadow is literally every movement you do, the shadow does. But it's, 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 it's a copy of yourself, but in a world of darkness. Because the shadow is dark. The darkness meaning you're affecting God on such a high, deep level, but it's so deep and so high, it can't be revealed to us. So to us, it's darkness. It remains hidden and concealed. It is, it is shadow and not light. And what is the idea of the, of the shadow? It's like the shadow of a person. Exactly your entire image, your shape and your form. Is reflected in a person's shadow. But it's in a state of darkness. So it is, it is Hashem Tzilcha, Hashem is your shadow. Pchenes Tzel Shalach is your shadow. In God's arousal below, we cause an arousal of above. But in this Rusa Deliela, in the arousal above, it's in a state of shadow and darkness. Because it's so lofty. That it's shrouded in a state of darkness. It's not something that we can comprehend and have any entrance into it. We can't have any, 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 any way of opening this up. From a creation, a created mind and a created being is not possible for him to, 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 
to 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 explore this. But it's like the way by way of an, the way what we say, like by way of a of a metaphor. The delights that the king has within himself that he can't share with anybody. Stated elsewhere. And that's why it says, God is your shadow by your right hand. What does that mean by your right hand? But here's the point. This whole process has one. We have to be in love with God. And he said before, this girl, this, pe- this peasant girl is in love with it, the prince. And she finds out what is it that triggers him. Then she does these actions. She keeps it. And what does he really sense? He senses her love. So what she's doing, she's not just doing. She's doing it with love. And that's, that's but if she would just be trying to do her own things to, to, to capture his, if she would go out there and think like, oh, this is a cute hat. I'm putting this on to get my husband's attention. Not necessarily. That will only go to a certain level because she's still a peasant. So what does she know about a cute hat? You know, she might find that this or that. <laughs> this is not. This is not for the royal. For the royal, you know, we don't have no. So it's best that she listens to the guide who tells her exactly what to do and how to do, and and then it's then she has him in her. She literally she has him in the palm of her hands. She has her husband because she knows these inner secrets. She found out. She doesn't know why it works. She actually can't figure it out. But she knows as long as she listens to this guy, she's her husband is hers. But that's the meaning of Yad Yaminacha. It's because there is love there. In other words, if we just have a very dry performance of mitzvahs, we're just doing things and we're totally not into it, and we're just doing then not that it doesn't have repercussions, it doesn't have any effect, but it's it's not what we're talking about. It's the excitement that we have. We wake up every day and we understand we're Jewish and we understand we have enormous capacity and we have such ability to do mitzvahs and so on. And we, and we do it with that, with that sense of awe of what we're doing. So it doesn't make a difference if we understand why or what this is symbolizing or how it works. Not just it doesn't make a difference. We will never know it. And yet, because there is that desire to cleave and to bond, it's what creates it. We keep God's heart and attached to us. Then Hashem does the tefillin. And he studies Torah. And in other words, he comes down and becomes engaged and involved and very much part of our lives and creates the worlds. And so is all the 248 commandments. These are the limbs that draw God down into kindness, and all the other attributes to keep God. As we, as we spoke earlier, we first have to create our creator, and then our creator can create us. And, the, and who creates his creator? God has a love affair with us. The Torah and the mitzvahs are the secrets into God's inner self to keep to keep us in his in, in his in his heart at the deepest level. And that's that's the way all of this comes together. We're going to stop over here. And next week, we're going to conclude this concept and the why it's, that in this, that's why we're called his provider. 
And why in this would compare to the horses of Pharaoh? As we explained in the beginning, the relationship, just like the horse has no idea what the ornaments are, we don't have to have an idea how, what, and we can never fathom it. It's not about us. It's these mitzvahs that are really super cool. Okay, everyone. We'll leave it over here. We will go do a lot of mitzvahs and be very, very happy to be able that we can, that this is our good fortune. By the time we learn next week, we should have already the Holy Temple rebuilt and Hashem should stop playing games. Now that we learn that God, that we are the wife and he has to listen. So as a wife, we tell him now, show up now. That's the, that's the thing. All right, everyone. Be well.